Welcome to another episode of the Arena Craft Podcast, a podcast focused exclusively on Magic the Gathering Arena, and now D&D. My name is Arjuna, I'm one of your hosts. I'm joined today by one of the, the world's darkest wanderers, one of the world's highest level mages. Sometimes he's even level one. It is the one and best of one. Covert Go Blue, Notorious Blue Mage. How are you doing today in the Forgotten Realms, my friend? I mean, I'm having a great time in the Forgotten Realms. I'm living it up, but I cannot go another second without acknowledging that you have brought the sexy werewolf look to the show today and that those (laughs) listening on platforms like Spotify uh, are not getting the full experience because uh, the the freaking wolf ears are killing me, man. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about, man. <laughs> oh my god! Oh man, that's 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 content <laughs> for you, audio listeners. You're just gonna have to find out. Head over to Covert Go Blue's YouTube channel and uh, and just watch the video version, and you'll know what we're talking about. Uh, I, I actually don't know what you're talking about, Covert Go Blue, but whatever. I'll I'll just let that one hang. Okay. Um, <laughs> so so anyway. Yes, we have been adventuring widely in the Forgotten Realms these past couple of days. The set is now fully released, which you should already know if you're listening to this. But if you've been living in a hole, go turn on your arena and play the new set. It is awesome. So um, let's just... Okay, basically what we're going to do today is we're going to do a set review. It is a full set review, but we're going to do it differently than we've done it in the past. So if you have been a fan of the show for a while... You will remember the like meandering 10-hour set reviews that we used to do. And while we enjoyed those a lot, I think it's just better for everyone that we've decided not to do that anymore. So instead, what we're going to do is we're going to go over just cards that we think are key cards, key archetypes, stuff that stood out to us. It's kind of a mix of like a top list with a bit more of a comprehensive overview. So we're, we're kind of trying to maybe glean the best of what we used to do and just you know, trim it down a bit. So it is the complete partial set review show. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. All the cards you need to know about and a handful that you really don't. Yeah. Before we get into that though, I'm just curious to hear like how have your first couple of days in the Forgotten Realms been, CGB? Yeah, this has been a bizarre spoiler season because in the past we usually get to do a show where we talk about all the cards before we even play with them. And at this point, and the way that they just did it, like the full set was spoiled on a Tuesday, right? And then they released the whole set on Arena on a on a Thursday. Like there was no spot for a show. Your schedule didn't allow it, neither did mine. Oh, by the way, holiday week. Just, yeah, just no to give deal. you a little more extra uh, if you needed to uh, be concerned about the amount of time you have. Uh, so, like, we're doing a show where we do a set review, having actually played with the cards, which is not something we've really done before. And I've spent the last few days trying, whenever I had time, to play with the cards. I had a family reunion to go to. My sister's in town from Arkansas. Rarely see her. so. But I have spent a lot of time watching videos in the evening, basically not sleeping at all, building decks, and playing when I can. And 2022 standard is where it's at, dude. Oh, it's like, so good, dude. Oh, my gosh. I love How, magic oh, again. It's that simple for you. You love magic again. Oh, yep. my God. Yeah. It's awesome. <laughs> It's a really bizarre, like it is, it is like 
changing speed limit drastically. It's like going from a 60 to a 25 zone in a lot of ways, but you like, but you, it's a really charming 25 zone with a lot of cute little shops that you forgot existed and some ice cream flavors you can't wait to try on the corner. Uh, so you're really happy to be out of that 60 mile an hour zone. I don't know where this metaphor is going, but when I've, so far what I've played in standard 2022 is a lot of dragons. Like a format Heck, yeah. where dragons are good in a number of decks is that sounds like a sweet format, doesn't it? It's so sweet. And you happen to be in one of the few colors that got, I would say, two playable dragons, right? In blue decks. So, uh, you know, yeah. I mean, that's pretty sweet, right? Two playable blue dragons. That's awesome. And how about you? What have you been jamming with so far what's what what are you feeling and i i it sounds like you're playing a ton of 2022 but what are you doing in there yeah so i kicked it off with some is it dragons it's an obvious place to go deck felt pretty strong i did a very dragon focused build of it but where i actually ended up settling on for my mythic run which happened very quickly once i started playing this deck was yes it's happening again arjuna is back to mono green and basically what happened was that for a long time there, we, we didn't really have playable two drops in mono green and standard. And this actually led to like notable mono green mage Rumty just quipping that you just play a two drop in mono green to just bait out a counter. He was like getting his two drops up towards the edge of the cliff and just shoving them off like... Thanks for your loyal service, Lemming. <laughs> Taste it. And then hoping that his three drops stuck. But now we actually have not one, but two very playable and relevant two drops in the archetype. And it is transformational, dude. So uh, I was going to say not to bury it too much, but maybe two of the best cards in the set are green two drops. I, I couldn't agree more. Yep, I couldn't agree more. They're, they're both performers. It's also just been fun to pull out some other, like, Green is a color kind of like white where they've printed a number of pretty playable cards that just got edged out by more playable cards. So we've uh, in this format, we have a chance to run things like Old Growth Troll, which just haven't really been showing up in the past. And let me tell you, that card is pretty sweet. So, yeah, so I've just I've been doing a lot of crushing with Mono Green. And uh, maybe we'll talk a little bit more about that as we get into the set review. But um, yeah, man, I, it just it feels good to have like multiple new or new ish archetypes that are just playable and back on the map. And the format has felt really diverse. People trying a lot of things. I've gotten crushed by some really, really interesting decks that I would have never thought to build myself. So it's kind of a brewer's paradise at the moment. And if you haven't been playing the event, I highly recommend checking it out. All right, I'm going after you. I'm, I'm going to try to get you to commit to this on the record, and I don't think it will be hard. 2022 format deep dive next week. Oh, easily. The only question, Kovac Go Blue, is how many hours you and the listeners have in you. <laughs> <laughs> it always is. That always is the question when we, when we record together. How much, yeah. how much can we take? Um, and since this is probably going to be a long one, we should uh, get right to the taking, so to speak. So... Uh, diving into a set review, what I've done this time, I took my stab at creating categories and dumping a bunch of the cards that we want to talk about in categories. 
so that we're just kind of going along themes. And if you have things that you want to talk about that address exact like those cards specifically or that category of card, we can kind of cover it right then and there. And the very first topic I have, or we're calling it a topic or a category, is dragons. Now, we saw several of the dragons, and we talked about a good amount of them before, but now we've seen the whole spoiler. The spoiler has a lot of dragons. Big surprise, D&D set. They're quite good in standard 2022. I also want to say this before we get in. When I'm talking about a card, and you're wondering if I'm talking about future standard, standard 2022, or current standard, Assume it's one of the first two. And if you want to hear me review the card for current standard, just look at the card, read it, figure out if it dies to Bone Crusher Giant, is or isn't bigger than a Lovestruck Beast, and does or doesn't come down before Embercleave wins the game. Yeah. Now you've done it. (laughs) Yeah, almost none of these cards are basically (laughs) going to see play on the regular queue. And I, I just... Just as a side note, crafties, like strap yourself in for like, I think that for the next couple of months, we're going to be a future podcast because I think that the idea of playing like regular old boring ranked standard at the moment just sounds probably like homework for both of us at the moment. And I think I think we will cover it. You know, don't worry, like we will cover it, especially if there's, you know, big new developments in that world. But I think that for the majority, I think I can safely speak for the both of us that the majority of the time between now and when rotation happens, I think CGB are going to be very future focused. Oh, yeah. And hopefully we can get a bunch of the crafty audience into this queue as well, because if there's one thing about this queue, I hope it's that it succeeds because I want this to happen a lot. (laughs) Yes. And, you know... I want for our crafties to be freaking crushing it, dude. Like, yeah. let's just, let's stack the top 1,200, right? We solved this queue last time. We can do it again. I already feel like I've got a pretty solid handle on what's going on, and I'm sure you do as well. So I that that would be like a realization of the next dream for me for this podcast is just to, like, get all of our listeners to be next leveling this format. Oh, yeah. So let's get it, uh, let's get it started. Let's start talking cards. First card on my list is Imarith, the Desert Doom. This one, I believe we talked about a little bit last week already. Uh, this beautiful five mana, five, five. And as far as reading the cards, I think what we're going to do is we're going to go through and we're going to read the cards that we haven't talked about on the cast before. But since a lot of you are already playing with these cards, especially some of the more popular ones like Imarith, I don't believe it's required to read those cards that we've already A, talked about on this podcast. Hold on, I got to do in my Arjuna thing. That we've already A of all talked about on this podcast <laughs> and B yes. of all are seeing a lot of play. So I think most of you know what Imrith the Desert Doom does, the five mana, five, five dragon. So yeah. I think this card is nuts. Playing with it was better than I really expected. The Ward 4 means usually it comes down on the battlefield and is not touchable. And it's bigger than most of the bodies that your opponent will play. And if they can't get through this, if this bricks their attack, it feels like the game is over. And this card, especially with all runs Epiphany as kind of the top end of the format, which if, I, if you ask me what the top end of the format is, I would say it's all runs Epiphany, uh, 100%, um, is, is absolutely nuts. Because as soon as they take their shields down or you have a counter to protect it, you attack with it, you draw cards, you all runs Epiphany, you do it again. I think this card is really amazing. What's your experience with this sucker? 
Yeah, it's a very solid card. I think both you and I expected it would be capable of good things and it has not disappointed. Um, it has done exactly what we thought it would do in that it's been a speed bump for cards like Goldspan Dragon. It's been a speed bump for maybe a lot of these mono white decks that are trying to play like a bunch of um, spellbinders and stuff like that. So it it does just happen to be larger than most of the aggressive things that your opponents are going to be doing, and it's incredibly hard to knock out of the sky. Um, I, one of the reasons I've been enjoying playing mono green is that you actually have options to tangle with Emerith at mana parity, which you don't in most other colors. But yeah, the place I've been most impressed with Emerith has actually not been in the Izzet Dragons list. It's been in uh, some Demir lists I've seen, or just some more controlling lists. I think the particular play pattern of control my opponent's board a bit, drop in Rift, drop Shadow's Verdict the next turn and bash, Ooh, and yeah. then the following turn you can either Epiphany or you can animate your blue land, and that should be game. I think that this is a play pattern that people need to get really used to in this upcoming format is some combination of like get attacked once with Imrith and then get attacked the next turn with Imrith in the 7-7 seven, seven land. And that's just game, right? Or maybe it could be an Ebon death with the 7-7 seven, seven land. But there are just very, very easy ways, especially if you're playing like an aggro, you know, like let's say you're playing mono red and you drop one or more Shatter Skull Smashings as lands, like... That's going to be game for you if your opponent gets like a sequence like that off on you. So um, it combos very, very well with some other finishes in the format. And I think that that's one of the things that really puts it over the top. Yeah, the the card is a killer. And I think it's going to be all over the place. And I don't know. This is my... Uh, I, I always said when Yorian's rotating, there will be another. This is one of those cards that might just be another it might be my card for a long time because it's hard to play a blue deck without it. I find, yeah. I, again, I don't want to go too deep into the meta hole until next week, but I find that you need the creatures. You need board presence. So uh, this card is it. I don't think you'll be sad crafting this if anybody yeah. is wondering what to do in blue. So how many crafts? I, I've been happy running two in my list so far. Would you go higher than two? I crafted three right away, and I haven't regretted. Like, I, I don't think I've gone down to two in a single list after playing with okay. three for very long. And that includes lists with Goldspan Dragon, where I still ran three of this and Goldspan Dragon. That's a bit much. I accept it. But I really do like going Prismari Command into a five drop. And if your opponent is a Goldspan de- Dragon player and you drop this, they're going to have a hard time for a while. Like It's, it's yeah, that's really, really good. That's a really good point. If you play Emerith a turn early, your opponent will have literally no way to interact with it the next turn. Yeah. Like, yeah. Especially with, you know, if you're playing the new queue and you have cards like uh, Extinction Event out of the format, it's going to be very hard to deal with an early Emerith. Yep. In fact, there's very few ways to kill big creatures at all, even once you get through the ward problems, add the ward problem. And yeah, like, it's a very small... Very small number of cards that interact with this thing. Anyway, this card's a rock star. Like, like this card's probably my favorite card in the set. You know, you you kind of hinted at it, but I this is something I wanted to mention anyway, so let's get it out of the way. Power word kill um, does not target dragons, <laughs> and that's a really big deal in this set. It's a really big deal. So you want to be thinking about your power word kill a little bit more like... Uh, 
you want to put it in the category of like two mana spell that kills things that two mana spells often kill, right? Um, like cheaper creatures. There are a number of humdingers that this card does not kill. And so if you get used to thinking of it as like your heartless act of the set, it's, it's not really going to be that. Yeah. If you're slamming four of it, you need to be able to justify that because there's going to be a lot of things it misses a lot. Yep. So that's one of the things that makes Imrith especially difficult is that like they're just I, I can't think of a two mana removal spell in this format that actually kills it, except for the um the one that you need to let your opponent draw a card with. What's that one called? Baleful Mastery. Exactly. So if so if you want to target this on the cheap with a baleful mastery, you gotta let your opponent draw a card, and that feels real bad. You like you tap six mana, your opponent draws a card, you're down a card. Not a good exchange. No, that's, you time-walked yourself. <laughs> one, exactly. you, you really yeah. time-walked yourself. Uh, yeah. an, an, another one that people are trying is Flunk. And Flunk works if your opponent is like dumping their hand to try to get the most out of the Emrith draw trigger. But yeah. good opponents are just... We'll, hope, we'll see through that. And I, I've been in a lot of places where I'm like, well, I'm not going to walk into a flunk here, so I'm not just going to play my cards pre-combat and hope I get to draw extra with it. Like, Or like it's so easy to just have a counter spell when they tap six mana to play yeah. a removal spell. Like it's, it's disgusting. Yeah, so that's really... I think we went a little deep on Emirith, but I think we both do think that it really is one of the best cards in the set. So just keep an eye out for it. You're going to see it a lot, and you're going to have to deal with it a lot. Yeah, the next card... Do you remember if we read this card before? We did not. The next next dragon is Icing Death. And uh, I'll go ahead and read the first one, but I'm putting you on notice. You're reading the next. All right, I'll get my vocal cards ready. You know what we can do? We can do it by category. I'll read all the dragons that need to be read. You can read like the next category that needs to be read. That way we're not trying to remember. Yeah. Let me go ahead and reorder these strategically for a moment. Nope, nope, (laughs) nope. Do not touch my Google Doc. Okay. So Icing Death Frost Tyrant is two and a white, white legendary creature dragon. It has flying and vigilance. It's a 4-3. And when it dies, you get this legendary white equipment artifact token. And it says, equipped creature gets plus two plus O, and whenever equipped creature attacks, tap target defending, target creature defending player controls. It's an equip two, and it's, the the equipment is, I love this, the equipment is called Icing Death Frost Tongue. Tongue. You cut out its tongue. tongue right out of the dragon. Cut out its tongue and use it as a weapon. It's so cool. Yeah, so um, this is the white mythic dragon in the set. What do you think of this one? Okay, well, I just have to get it off my chest. Right off the bat, Icing Death as a name for a dragon. Like, I'm I'm just having trouble, man. Every time I hear the word Icing Death, I think of like a cupcake, you know? What? It's it's like, imagine... Oh, like, don't, you go to no. Your, you no, go to your, you're going to ruin local, it for everyone. <laughs> you go to your local cupcake store, right? And they have like at the top of the menu, they have like their most epic cupcake. And it's like... You know, it's like this this little cupcake with this massive tower of like frosty, you know, iced goodness on it, right? And it's the icing death because you get freaking diabetes if you eat more than one of them. So yeah, the the cupcake tyrant, <laughs> as it's going to be known for me from now on. Um, it you know this looks about as harmless as a cupcake to me. I I am not a buyer on this card. I don't think it's the worst thing that you can put in a white deck, but like 
is it even like is this card that much better than legion angel it depends on whether or not you want to draw the equipment because if you do it goes in directly into play so like yeah it's not i mean it's not terrible right it's here's the thing how many legion angels can you play in your deck before they're effective two at the most right yeah i mean okay but you don't want to run more than two uh icing deaths it what i'm saying is if your deck really wants a four mana four power flyer play which many do in this format then you can only run two legion angels you might as well run like one or two icing deaths and and, and fill it in. Yeah. Yeah. So that you've got something to block that gold span and leave something behind. I mean, it's a role player. I think one of the awkward things about icing death is that it gets a lot better if you're playing Halvar and just like how many four drops are you going to want to play, right? Yeah, we're, we're running low. Yeah. Exactly. I think so. Okay, so Icing Death, it's obviously got powerful play patterns. I'm not saying that this card can't win games or that it can't be a good top end in a white deck. But just think about how mana, like think about how tempo negative your play patterns could be with this. So you drop an Icing Death and your opponent just right away shoots it out of the sky with like a Frostbite. And um, these red decks, there's a lot of red decks in the format because uh, there's strong red cards to be playing. And so I expect, you know, like Is It Dragon's List, for example. And this card, it just gets owned by an Is It Dragon's List. So, like, they drop it out of the sky for one mana. And then if you then go to equip the equipment, that's more mana that you've sunk into this card. If they have another interaction or just, you know, if your attack doesn't end up being very good or whatever, you're just kind of wasting more time and and getting further tempo negative. So uh, I just I think you need to watch out playing Icing Death. I think that you're right. I also think the scenario you described, if they have those cards in that spot, there isn't much that the white deck can play that's good. I think that's fair. And so therefore, therefore, you have to eat those removals with your smaller cards. You've got to force them to play them sooner. So I, I think that this card has a home, but I, I will tell you, I think that you ruined it. I, I think that you absolutely cucked this card now that everybody will think of cupcakes. I think you neutered the card. I think Icing Death has no future. He'll never get a date. He will be alone at the prom. You destroyed him. You know, I, I wish I could say that I felt sorry, but Mono White, taste it. <laughs> Moving right. right along. Next, next card. <laughs> Even Death. We're going to talk about um, Even Death Dracolich. I think it is. Yeah. So every night, na- like when I put in a card, every now and then the wheel spins, but the card doesn't pop up on Scryfall, and my heart just, my poor little heart just breaks. <laughs> but anyway, we talked about the Even Death before, right? The yep. yeah. So how have you played with this card a good amount yet? I've not played with it. I've played against it. And so far, it has been very underwhelming to me um, in the role of it being on the battlefield for my opponent. Granted, I'm not sure that my opponents were playing it in the lists that I would have put it in. Um, this, This is my current theory on the card. This hasn't been tested, but this is just what I'm thinking about. I do not think that Ebon Death is a good match for, like like a Rakdos list, for example, like a deck that wants to turn sideways or be burning your opponent out. In my opinion, for the Ebon Death to be good, it really does have to go into a very controlling list with lots of removal. So I think that it can be good in a list like that. I don't know if it's better than Imrith in a list like that, for example. 
Um, but that's kind of what I'm thinking about with Ebon Death. So I think that part of the reason I wasn't impressed is that I think my opponents were just trying it in lists that I personally didn't think were a good match for it. I agree that I think the most, I think the best thing to take advantage of with this is the flash, the flashness, right? Because so far in this format, I've played a lot against is it dragons and a lot against like green and white. So if you're against green and white, the flashness and the tapness, it, like everything about this is pretty bad unless like you don't want to be playing it until you're closer to parity or getting ahead, which means that most of your win cons would do the job. But against a dragon deck like Prismari Dragons, where you if you have counter spells and this flash threat, they don't want to play their Goldspan Dragon in a situation where it will get soul shattered and they get nothing for it, or it will get countered, saw it coming, then they get nothing for it. So when they hit five mana, they're going to pass. And when they pass is when you want to try to take advantage and put something on the board like your Dracolic. And I mean, it sounds fine in theory. It also sounds good. Like there could be these long games where you, your removal spells also come with a body that you can cast for free. I just find the removal spells so underwhelming and those scenarios so hard to set up because you're just constantly under pressure in this format. The pressure never stops because every deck has creature lands, lots of them. So every single turn, if the opponent wants to, they can be attacking you. So trying to get into the place where you have cheap mana, like like two mana that kills target creature, and then you cast your Dracolich from the, from the graveyard is really hard because we already talked about power word kill it. It's not hitting much. It isn't getting many jobs done. So there just isn't much cheap removal that you can play that's reliable to hit and then play this again. So it has underwhelmed me as well. I haven't really found... I I haven't found this to be the card that moves the needle in any of the decks I've tried. I agree. It's just, yeah, it's not that it's not a powerful card. I'm currently thinking of it as like a potential sideboard option for some decks in, you know, once we get to play... Post-rotation best of three, I think this card could come in in certain matchups. But yeah, otherwise it's been unimpressive, especially with like, for example, just with cards like uh, another card we'll talk about later in the set, Orca's Prince of Undeath in the set. Someone being able to drop that and just cheaply take out your your Draco Lich is uh, pretty bad (laughs) tempo-wise. So, yep. (laughs) Hasn't found a home yet. All right. The next dragon, the next mythic dragon that we're going to go to is the red one in the cycle. This is Inferno of the Star Mounts. It's four and a red red for a 6-6 legendary dragon. It can't be countered. It has flying and haste. And then it has this ultimate fire-breathing text. For a red, this card gains plus one plus O until end of turn. When its power becomes 20 this way, it deals 20 damage to any target. The just... The ultimate mega fire breathing win more where you just get to 20 a target and you have a 20 power dragon attacking. The Timmies are rejoicing. Siobhan Dragon has never looked this good. But what do you think of this card? So this is the scenario I'm imagining, which don't try this at home crafties. It's bad. But this is what you do, right? So you drop your Inferno, you get in for six. And then next turn, you untap. You pump your Inferno up to nine and then you use a power doubling spell, of which I think we have one in the format currently. I, I can't remember which one it's, it is. So there's do- a coin flipping one. 
Or no, is that, that gives double strike. That gives double strike. We're talking about something like Unleashed Fury, but I don't know Unleashed, if it's in, did it's Unleashed not Fury in 2022. Rotate? Yeah, it's not in Yeah, maybe not. Okay, so maybe we don't have a power doubler, but I think it would be sweet. So, so you get it up to nine power, you double it, and then you pump it twice more and you get it to 20. And then that's, you know, that's a way that you could actually spend your mana in one turn to, to get the 20 to the face. The funny thing about it is, like, isn't your opponent already dead? <laughs> you need to deal 40? Is this not a commander card yeah, to you? Like, are you playing against like angels and historic or something? Like, yeah, I mean, if this card attacks twice, your opponent is dead. Like, yeah, yeah. So, so I, um, I have enjoyed playing this card. I have found it to be quite good. Um, like you said, the removal in the format is pretty expensive and a lot of it is not very good against dragons. And so I think that this is a totally fine top end in a kind of list that would want to run it. Um, another thing to note is that this card attacking in tandem with a goldspan dragon is just absolutely nuts. So if you're able to get into a scenario where like you curve into a goldspan and then you follow it up with this, um, I mean, you know, it's a little bit Christmas land, but you put these two cards in your deck and it happens, you know, a surprising amount. So yeah, I played two of these as a top end in my Is It Dragons list inconclusive as to whether it's better than any of the other options but i certainly ended a lot of games with this card i believe it did you also run all the all runs epiphanies no i didn't run the full complement so i mean that's a really good question as to which one of those cards is better yeah um i do think that if you're in the dragon mirror this card is nuts right because like they're gonna have to work really hard to take this card out Okay. Uh, if they if they if they have to take it out, I mean. It, so my argument That's with fair. my argument with the all runs epiphany thing is, you pay six mana, you slam this, they don't counter it, you take six, they untap, and you never take another turn. Yeah, that could happen. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I mean, if you play your cards right, right? Like if you're playing carefully, you can play this and also leave up mana, right? That's so, true. I think in, in the counter spell head to head, I think this does beat Alrin's Epiphany as long as you're smart, right? I mean, you just, you, you have to like. Oh no, it doesn't get around a... the bird. Like, <laughs> gets cut by the bird. It's chumped. The birds, the birds own this the, card. <laughs> the lack of trample is, is a downside of running the card. Um, but that's what I think. I think if the opponent has good removal and they're ready for this, then it's not going to be that great. But if they're more of trying to do a counter spelly thing, if you use your noggin and you take your turns carefully, and especially if you have your own counter magic up, yeah, I think this card can really own your opponents. Yeah, I, I think you're right, but I haven't been playing it over Epiphany. I've been playing it in decks that are not blue, which few and far between for CGV, but like <laughs> yeah. Gruul, Dragons, Rakdos, Dragons, I almost always have two of these. So I don't think you should be sad right now if you open one of these in a pack but i wouldn't run out and craft them i, I it's a good card though it, it's a very fun card and it's a very very timmy card with that line of text that just gets people excited that is probably like a planeswalker ultimate it just never happens we shouldn't evaluate the card based on the 20 extra damage it might deal but it's still yeah. a cool card yeah it's basically flavor text but yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I I think if you're not sure about this card, don't craft it. Um, if you're one of these people who, you know, you don't have 
limitless time or money to just get all of the cards in the set and, and you happen to crack one of these, yeah, you know, throw hey. it in your deck. Hey, what do you mean these people? <laughs> <laughs> I just, you know, one of these hypothetical content creators who, ah. you know, draft the set or spend their entire life playing Magic. He sees right through me. <laughs> I mean, right. I, I'm, I'm implicated too, man. I mean, come on. So the next is the last in the Mythic Dragon cycle. We're going to talk about the green one, Old Gnawbone. This is a five green green, seven, seven flying legendary Mythic Dragon. And whenever a creature you control deals combat damage to a player, create that many treasure tokens. Yeah? Yeah? You like treasure? I got I got a card that makes treasure over here. What do you think? Uh, a better or worse than Brass's Bounty? Um, better. It's a dragon. Duh. <laughs> and it's a green card. How, how could that be worse? I don't understand the question. All right. So, Crafties, uh, if you haven't gotten it from the context clues already, this card is either A, just a total meme... Or if it does show up somewhere, it'll be in some like unlikely combo death deck that tries to kill you in one turn or something like that. But that's that's how I read Old Norbone. Am I? Do you have any ideas around this card that I'm like missing? The idea I have is, what have you done with Arjuna? You're an imposter because Arjuna <laughs> would have said A of all, and then actually had a B of all, and now you said A and didn't even have a B. So you're you are not the co-host of the Arena Craft Podcast. <laughs> Bouncing. <laughs> I'm out of here. <laughs> we got him. We, sus- we sussed him out. Anyway, it is bizarre to me to say this, but it is possible that there is a cycle where green got the worst card. Not only right? that, there's two. There's actually two, I think. It's kind of amazing. Yeah. 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 So, you know, they listened to well, but then they printed some of the best mono green cards we've we've seen in a long time. So eh. But but yeah, I mean yeah, this card, I mean, I, it's fun. I imagine that you're probably going to run some fun deck playing this at some point or another for to entertain the viewers, but... <laughs> uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if the whole uh, two years of Forgotten Realms came and went and I never played this card, to be honest. So, you know what this card reminds me of? Um, I can't remember the name because I don't really care about this card. It was the seven mana artifact that tapped for like four colorless and filtered your mana. That, You're talking about oh, the God. Astro something. I try so hard to come up you're, with You're card really names. good at this, and I even I, stumped I, you. Chromatic Ori? Yes, Chromatic Ori, you got it. All right. Okay, so this for me, this goes into the category of Chromatic Ori cards. The reason I think these cards don't tend to see play is that they generate mana, they cost seven mana, right? You don't want your enabler to be your to be living in the payoff spot on the curve. So, like, what are you hoping to achieve after casting your seven mana spell, which is going to be an even bigger effect? You really want to know? You really want to know? I want to do the uh, I want to do the hitting quest on the red dragon. (laughs) That that's it. Okay, you got it. You got it. Yeah, I want the twenty power. (laughs) <laughs> gruel over the tops okay so so here's the good thing about the card is that you can drop it at seven and if you have other creatures that get in you immediately get extra treasure mm-hmm. so that's a good aspect of the card the, the dragon itself does not have to attack for you to get the payoff so that's a way in which the card could have sucked but that it doesn't 
Um, but I still don't really think it's enough to make Old Gnawbone playable. Yeah, neither do I. There will probably be some nutty things you can do it in Commander and Brawl, but for yep. any any context of standard, it's 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 just extra. It's too much extra. Yeah. Yep. All right. Oh I'm I'm going to move into uh, some other dragons that are outside the Mythic cycle, but they're cards that are dragon reliant or play with dragons. And covering the dragon category makes a lot of sense. So I want to visit Dragon Turtle, and not just to hear you say it. But uh, to kind of check in on this card, we talked about it last week. It's the 3-5 flash that drags stuff below, does the tap down. Have you gotten to play with Dragon Turtle? I have. This, and, this card and so far has, has been the truth. Wow. Okay. I, I think this card is great. Nice. Yeah. I've, I've struggled with how much Dragon Turtling to do versus... The, uh, all the other options for interactivity. So I'm curious to hear like where you're uh, finding the most success with it. I think it's good against small creature decks. I also think that it can be a pretty solid answer for Faceless Haven. Oh, so yeah. those are two places I really like it. Like If you're trying to slow down one of these monocolor, like mono white, mono green, I think those are the two best monocolor aggro decks in the format. Yeah, I think Dragon Turtle is a totally fair card to play. Uh, I, mono green, maybe not so much, because mono green's creatures get pretty big. They can start just attacking through a turtle. Yeah, I, that's but, what I found. By the time I untapped my turtle, they had a 6-6. Six, six. Yeah. That was yep, a very so sad Dragon Turtle. That's kind of awkward. So, I, I yeah, I don't necessarily... I still think that this is probably ultimately going to be more of a sideboard card, and I do think it is best against Mono Red. And spoiler alert, Mono Red is not a thing in Standard 2022. <laughs> Neither so. are sideboards, so nope. <laughs> not making so, a good case. <laughs> so maybe this card is not the truth yeah. yet. But yeah, I but I I've definitely seen Dragon Turtle be very impressive in a number of situations. Um, I actually again I liked it in the Dragon's Mirror. I just yeah. found like it was pretty annoying. Like the opponent would play out a gold span and you'd just tap it down, and they didn't even get a treasure out of it. So yep, that's uh, really yeah. good. Yeah, I I think it has its spots. I think it has its spots. You know what's not good mm. when they play an All Runs Epiphany, so they get like their untap. Cycle gets ahead of your dragon yes, turtle. That is not good. That's not good. <laughs> that's that's disappointing. But what's good is when you play an All Runs Epiphany and your dragon turtle is untapped before their creature has gone through its lockdown turn. So. Yep. Or if you Epiphany and then untap and play a dragon turtle, tap down their blocker, and now they're just, yeah, they're hurting. Yep, it, it has its moments for sure, and the 3-5-ness is really hard to kill. And there aren't that many... Uh, flash cards, I would say, uh, like mm-hmm. ways to kind of both hold up a an answer threat combo and a counter spell. So I've enjoyed the turtle. I think I think it's a discard. It I, I wouldn't like like two is a number I come back to pretty often. If that yeah. makes sense, I think it'll find a home. And I agree. I think it's more of a niche player. But this is the kind of card where, like, for example, if you're playing in the regular standard queue right now and you're playing a blue deck, I would definitely consider running this in the sideboard for mono red. Because, like, this card owns those current mono red lists pretty hard, I think. Agreed. So I'm going to jump to another dragon-related card, the Orb of Dragonkind. Have we done this one on the show? Yeah, we did read it last week. Mm -hmm. All right, so the mana rock that also hit a dragon, uh, looking at your top seven... I'm I'm going to start on this card. 
Yep. I'm done with it. it. I'm off it. Yeah, I I was kind of off it too. I was kind of off it too. So why why did you not like it? It didn't happen to me, but I played against people. I I played a game where somebody sacrificed two orbs of dragon kind and whiffed on and whiffed. That's (laughs) why I kept whiffing, dude. Yep. Like Uh seven cards, man. Seven cards and you can't have a dragon. Yeah. Come on. And dragons are it's not like other types like humans or non-humans in your Winota or elves where like you're really filling your curve with them. Like dragons live at the top end. They yeah. they live at the top end and you can only have so much of that. And that means that the whiff potential just gets so high. And I also just found that way too often this card like died to Prismari command. And there was mm-hmm. like just so many times also, you just needed anything out of this other than what it does. If, if it just tapped for a colorless mana, yeah, it would have been, exactly. it would have been, been so good. You need to activate your hall of the storm giant or whatever, but you've got this freaking orb of dragon kind sitting there doing nothing. I, I'm completely off this card at this point. So everything you said, I agree with the, my main, okay. The main issue I had with orb of dragon kind was just that if you didn't have a four drop dragon in your hand, you kind of felt like you wasted a turn. Yes. So the ideal thing to do is you go turn two orb of dragon kind, turn three, four drop dragon, right? If you do that, you feel like a boss, like you're just way ahead. Especially if you drop a Galazeth Prismari, you get to hopefully untap the next turn and you have just so much mana available to you. So that was like the the high case of using Orb of Dragonkind. If you didn't have that, it basically felt like taking turn two off. Even if it let you cast your Goldspan Dragon on turn four instead of turn five, I still didn't feel like it was worth it having given up turn two to play it it's a good meme card if you're trying to play five color dragons in this format or something like that but otherwise i'm not touching it again yeah i think i think you do need like if you have a deck that has a critical mass of cheaper dragons then i think orb of dragon kind is going to be good but they're basically going to need to print even more dragons into standard for that to be the case but onto a card that i'm I'm like playing all over the place, quite honestly, that I'm, I'm happy to put yes. in just about everything. Uh, and that is Dragon's Fire. So Dragon's Fire. Have we read this on the show? I don't think so. I'm going to no. go ahead and read it. Yep. Um, one in a red instant. As an additional cost to cast this spell, you may reveal a dragon card from your hand or choose a dragon you control. Uh, like if you never played in cons, this line of text, it's easy to forget that this is an like an either or option. So I'm going to say it again. You can reveal a dragon from your hand or choose a dragon you control. So dragon's fire deals three damage to target creature or planeswalker, no matter what. But if you revealed a dragon card or chose a dragon card, when you cast the spell, you get to deal damage equal to the dragon's power to the creature or planeswalker instead. Cool. Like a a two mana instant speed removal spell that on its own, Hits like a frostbite or a lightning strike or something like that. Which is totally precedented, right? Totally we, fine. We play cards like that all the time. Scorching dragon fire, you know, mm-hmm. fire prophecy. We expect a little upside, though. We, we've mm-hmm. been conditioned now that we need more. But I don't remember a more that gave you, like, conditional options to scale up to hit such large things. Because if you have a, a desert doom in your hand, the blue one, and you can shoot for five with two mana at instant speed, you're going to kill most of the planeswalkers. 
You're going to yeah. kill most of the creatures that you come up against, including other dragons. So it can hit other dragons. It's not like Glorybringer either. That was something else that I think maybe flavor-wise, they could have put non-dragon on this and made it unplayable. But this mm. does hit all the things. I think this card is amazing, and I'm running four of it a lot. Yeah. I I started with, I think, three in my dragons list, and after playing the format a little bit, I was like, easy four of. Like, I'd, I'd run five, you know? Yeah. Um, card is fantastic. And yeah, it definitely does incentivize you to play Imerith. And I mean, I even had some pretty sweet scenarios where I had the red one. And yep, Inferno. For, yeah, and hit for six. And it was freaking amazing. So yeah, this card is great. Run it. 100% into Dragon's Fire. Yep. So that's a slam dunk. Onto one that I, I'm, I don't know. I don't, this, this card plays a really interesting role, in my opinion, in the meta for 2022. Mm. And it's a card I didn't even see on the spoiler. Like, I, I played the five-color dragon deck, and I didn't even play this card for a while because I didn't even know it existed. This mm. is Temple of the Dragon Queen. This is an uncommon land. And it says, as Temple of the Dragon Queen enters the battlefield, you may reveal a dragon from your hand. Temple of the Dragon Queen enters the battlefield tapped unless you revealed a dragon card this way, or you control a dragon. Important text again. As it enters the battlefield, choose a color, and you can tap for one mana of the chosen color. This is like a pathway that can be any color and enters the battlefield untapped as long as you have a dragon in hand or on the battlefield. I think it's really important because if you are running a color combination without snarls, like say gruel mm. playing tapped lands is so bad. Yeah. But if you can find eight to 10 dragons for your deck, this like this really makes your mana incredibly better. Yeah. I found it to be a player. I ran it in my, is it dragons deck and was very happy with it. I found that I either always had a dragon to turn it on or I could just play it turn one or whatever. I could fit it into my curve. And especially because the mana is so horrendous in the standard 2022, um, they're definitely going to need to print a good cycle of lands in the next set to really get multicolor decks back on the menu. But um, yeah, Temp Temple of the Dragon Queen filled in that slot for me. Now, my deck was quite dragon-focused, and I agree with you. You do need to have a critical mass of dragons. So you need to be running like like all four of your gold spans, you know, a couple of Galzeth Prismaris, a um, couple of Emirates, and, and like the um, Dragon Shark or whatever. And if you're... <laughs> dragon Turtle... <laughs> Dragon Turtle. Also, dragon I, Turtle. Dude, isn't Dragon Shark sweet, though? Man, I'm sure kinda, it's coming. It's got to be wish coming. It, yeah, it's only a matter of time. So um, so because I had all of those cards in my deck, it was no problem. But uh, I think that's the only question is how many dragons are you running? If there was a more playable, like a better than a Snarl dual land that I could play in its place in my Izzet deck, I probably would have run that instead. And it does hurt to have to play like this and Pathways in your Snow deck because you do frequently have to wait longer than turn three to get your Frostbites online. Yep. So that was kind of a downside. But overall, I found that in a Dragon-heavy deck, it was definitely worth it. I think it's pretty sweet. I know that there's the rare cycle of Creature Lands, so it's not like 
It's not like we are getting a discount, but I like that Dungeon Descent is a rare and basically unplayable, and that Temple of the Dragon Queen is an uncommon, and it's actually pretty staple, you know? Let's I'm, go. Let's do it. Let's, let's do it. go. This makes up a little bit for base camp. Mm, I'm not <laughs> over base camp. <laughs> <laughs> oh, one of the biggest disappointments of recent years. Anyway. Speaking of the biggest disappointments of recent years, we're going to move into a category called Planeswalkers. (laughs) And uh, I use that, I use that transition because these are not War of the Spark Planeswalkers and this is not Oko anymore. No, no, we are not. We're not in Eldraine anymore. We are not in War of the Spark anymore. So I am tasked with reading this cycle and I'm going to start off with a card I've been very unimpressed with so far. Grand Master of Flowers, two white white legendary planeswalker Bahamut. These are all at Mythic, by the way. Bahamut enters with three loyalty. As long as Grand Master of Flowers has seven or more loyalty counters on him, he is a 7 7 dragon god creature with flying and indestructible. Plus one, target creature without first strike, double strike, or vigilance can't attack or block until your next turn. Plus one, search a library and or graveyard for a card named Monk of the Open Hand, reveal it. Put it into your hand. If you search a library this way, shuffle. And that is it, my friends. Two plus ones. That's all he wrote. So yeah, I'm I'm gonna I'm just gonna hand this one over to you, CGB. Have you been impressed at all with Grandmaster of Flowers? I actually really like this card, and I've been it's tough because I haven't played a ton of standard, but when I played regular standard I thought this card was a lot of what I needed. Uh, A card advantage engine that keeps producing threats that when it hits seven, it can be a game ending threat on its own because it can just swing right in, hit the opponent. Um, So there's a lot of like cool stuff with it. The monks I found a lot better than I expected. The ability to search the graveyard to get them is really nice, but I think it's, I think in a dragon meta, it's in the wrong place because this thing there is no good use for this card if your opponent has Goldspan Dragon in their deck. <laughs> they, they, like it, it, you can't get it down and protect it realistically. You can't. Uh, it's going to just get. It's just going to take a dragon to the face one way or another. There, there's like almost no good use for the card in that situation because even if you play it for value and to absorb a hit, all you got out of it was one one, and that's just not good like this card needs to be on the battlefield for a few turns it's especially good if you're already being aggressive and they played a card that they hoped would block and stabilize right and then you can play grandmaster of flowers and plus on it and keep the aggression going and then the next turn you go fetch another creature and but the problem is when it's a it's a desert doom you can't plus on it because of that freaking ward not it's a disaster so in 2022, it's kind of bizarre that in this no, it's kind of a no man's land format because you can't sideboard it. You can't take it out of your deck where it's bad. So I think in 2022, as much as I love the card, I think you're supposed to run Icing Death and Legion Angel because you create this flying board presence. So their gold span dragon crashes into it and dies, or you can get a counter on it with a Luminarch Aspirant or Sky Maul, and it can swing through a Desert Doom. Uh, Grandmaster of Flowers can't do any of that. And I think it doesn't pass the test because of it in 2022. Okay, I figured out why you like this card, CGB. It looks like you. What? 
It looks no, like you. It does not. Do not yeah. say that. Yeah, look at no. that hair, man. Nope, nope. I am not. <laughs> I am not. I'm not some flower loving hippie. <laughs> Nobody is giving me no grandmaster. We have to stop this line of dialogue. We have to shut down this podcast. I will not listen to this. Get this imposter co host off this podcast. No, no, we're not going there. I am not the grand freaking master of flowers. I think that this card is a classic example of win more. I think this card plays well when you're ahead and is pretty bad when you're behind. (laughs) Nope, don't see it. Don't see the results. You all really need to watch the uh, video version of this podcast, by the way. Yeah, I think like there are going to be games where you play this and like you're doing well and your opponent isn't smashing the door down and and beating your face up and you're going to be like, wow, that was really cool. And then I ended the game with this freaking 7-7 indestructible flying creature and it was epic. Uh, And then you're going to have games like games that I've been having against this where your opponent plays turn two pack leader into turn three troll into turn four, you know, Esika's chariot. And you're looking at your like four mana three loyalty planeswalker that fetched up a 1-1 that you couldn't cast the turn that you put it into play and you're just not feeling great about life nope so i'm not saying that there isn't a potential deck that this card could fit into at some point like it has potential it you know it's definitely not dead it's definitely not as bad as some of the other planeswalkers we're going to read on this list but yeah so far i have not seen a good home for this i think i think the thing i need to try with it it's absurdly better on the play than the draw like like absurdly yes. better and i think yes. what i'm what what i need to do is break that parody in a way so i want to try this in like green white with mana elves with some ramp so i can get it down early before it's worried about dying to goldspan dragon and before the opponent has like a super solid foothold and then i think both modes could matter but i think in regular mono white in this format you need the flyers you need the flying creature presence so um, I think Planeswalkers need to pass the oh crap test and and especially Planeswalkers that cost four or more mana, right? When your opponent resolves it, do you do you feel that like drop in the pit of your stomach? Like, oh God, oh God, why? What will I ever have to do to deal with this Planeswalker? And I don't feel that way when this one comes down. Dude, there are two things that have to pass the oh crap test, new underwear and this card. <laughs> And only one of them consistently does that. Depending on the underwear. <laughs> okay, uh, speaking of underwear, let's move on to our next planeswalker here, Mordekainen. Four, I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, and they're going to tell me in the comments. Uh, four blue blue, legendary planeswalker Mordekainen. It comes in with five loyalty. Plus two, draw two cards, then put a card from your hand on the bottom of your library. Minus two, create a blue dog illusion creature token with this creature's power and toughness are each equal to twice the number of cards in your hand. Ooh. And minus ten, exchange your hand and library, then shuffle. You get an emblem with you have no maximum hand size. So apart from the fact that I just know you're going to try this Planeswalker CGB because why would you not? Um, I think, okay, so Mordekainen is clearly a very powerful Planeswalker, right? This is... Clearly a piece of cardboard, which if you just got to choose to untap with it, you would be ultra stoked. I I have not seen this card on the battlefield once yet. And I think part of the reason is just that, you know, people would probably rather play an Emerith or that, you know, there's just kind of other things that people would rather currently do in the format. So Mordekainen, I just realized it's Morden 
Kainen. Okay, so I already already am improving my pronunciation here. Um, this is it's a little bit of like a, a Professor Onyx, right? Where it's a six man planeswalker that does strong things, and the question is just can you kind of plausibly get it out, and can it then do some stuff that is game affecting enough? But I mean, just like on the face of it, plussing up to seven loyalty and drawing two cards. I mean, yeah, that's awesome. Making a blue dog, which is going to be like probably a pretty big creature, right? Like this minuses to make like a 4-4 four, four or a 6-6 six, six or something, maybe even an 8-8. Eight, eight. So, I mean, okay, I think that this card pretty decisively passes the protecting itself test. I mean, if this thing like makes two illusions, you probably win the game, right? So, I don't know. What, what are you thinking about this card, CGB? Number one, to everyone out there who wants to come in here and judge either of us on how to pronounce made-up words, <laughs> shove it. Who's to say it's not Morden Kinkinbutt or whatever I want to call it? I'm going to call it what I want to call it. Who says you get to be right? Huh? It's your imagination, man. Exactly. Right. Yeah, I don't care. I don't care if you've. I don't care if you've taught like whispered this person's name in dark corners with your D and D pals in mom's basement for twenty years. I'm going to call it whatever I want, and I'm going to get Arjuna to spit water while I do it. <laughs> Just I had to. Uh, the D and D. The D and D nerds are are going hard in my comments on my pronunciation of things, and I'm I'm going right back. I, I, I show no weakness, yep. man. I show no weakness. Oh, man, you, you just critical hit, man. You just roll a natural 20 on those guys. Taste it. <laughs> Let's so, go. <laughs> this card. Um, I want to talk. This gives me a chance to remind everybody about something about 2022. It doesn't have Brazen Borrower. Yes. Because it took yes. me a while to figure out. I'm not kidding. It took me a while to figure out why every time I make a dog, it didn't die. I was like, I, I have been conditioned and I didn't even realize how or why, but I've been conditioned for years now that if I'm going to make a token, it's just going to die. So what's the big deal about making one token? You need at least two birds for that to be relevant. You need two tokens. Okay. And this thing making one token, when I read that line of text, I was like, this, this card isn't going to do it. That's not enough. This card can minus two twice because it starts with five loyalty. So you basically get two of those dogs whose power and toughness are equal to double the cards in your hand. But like you said, often a 4-4, four, four, often a 6-6, six, six, reasonably often an 8-8. Eight, eight. Like two of those. That's really good. And Skyclave Apparition doesn't hit it because it doesn't hit tokens. Frostbite doesn't kill things that big. And Brazen Borrower is nowhere to be seen. So like that part actually matters. That said, this card is competing with the top end of top ends, which I still believe is Allrun's Epiphany. And I think it lives there until it doesn't anymore. Allrun's Epiphany is so good with the dragons, Goldspan and, uh, is it, gosh, is Illigar, is Illigar? I, I just keep De saying Desert Doom. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah whatever it, it is. It's so good with D&D, &D, the Desert Doom. Emirates. <laughs> Imerith. 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 There it is. It's so good with Imerith and so good with Goldspan that that is the line. If you need a deck that doesn't want to play those, and then maybe this card is good. And I think that it's a good card competing for a spot that doesn't have, there's just not enough room for all of it. So maybe this should be a one of in my Is It deck. Maybe it should be a one of in my Demir deck. It's definitely a one of and sometimes a two of in my Azorius deck. But 
yeah, it, it's the competition that's holding it back. But it's better than people realize because those dogs usually don't die. Yeah. Yeah, this card is just very, very, very powerful. So we already read Lolth Spider Queen, so I'm not going to read that one again. It was about 12, 12 years ago. 12 years ago. <laughs> 12 episodes, maybe. <laughs> she, I haven't seen this one on the battlefield either. I think, like we said before, this card has potential, but the shell for it doesn't exist. So I think for now, you can safely just ignore it. I'm holding on to hope in a mono-black control deck and in a green-black sacrifice, like... Uh, Magecraft deck, Magecraft drain deck, but I haven't tested those decks. But yeah, card isn't showing up very much. Yep. Um, now on to which I think might be the worst card in the cycle, Zariel, Archduke of Avernus. Two red red for loyalty planeswalker Zariel. Plus one, creatures you control get plus one plus oh and gain haste until end of turn. Zero. Create a 1-1 red devil creature token with when this creature dies, it deals 1 damage to any target. And then minus 6, you get an emblem with at the end of the first combat phase on your turn, untap target creature you control. After this phase, there is an additional combat phase. So the question I want to ask you, Kovac Blue, is this Planeswalker has 3 abilities on it. Do any of them make you smile inside? <laughs> yes all of them because it's a red card that sucks <laughs> okay all right we got there we did it um yeah if if by smiling it's uh because it's a joke then i agree with you um this it's it's hard for me to imagine this card showing up first of all the plus one is just not that great you like to be able to just drop a Planeswalker and immediately plus it and have it actually do something, especially a four-mana Planeswalker. This basically doesn't. Yeah. Maybe if you've already gone wide, that plus one, plus oh buff will mean something. But this is another classic example, like Grandmaster of Flowers, of a card that plays well when you're already crushing and is just totally abysmal when you're losing. And yes, extremely bad on the draw, especially in an aggro matchup. So this is the problem. It's hard for me to see where this card fits in. Do you have any thoughts about like what archetype would actually want to play this? Uh, somewhere that's going to somehow cheat a sweet battlefield and then give it haste. Um, it better not involve protecting this card because it doesn't protect itself very well. Super awkward against any kind of dragon, but especially Goldspan Dragon, because you, when you play it, you want a zero so that you get something out of it. But if you don't plus, you're going to get attacked and it's just gone. I yeah I'm I haven't seen the card making an impact and I don't expect it to. There's only one thought I've had around this card is that it could like maybe maybe do something cool in a transmogrify deck. Okay, I'm just I'm reaching here. So for example, let's say you get this down, you make a token. Sure. Let's say that for in some Christmas land, both this and the token live until your next turn. Then you can transmogrify the token and give whatever you summoned up haste. And yeah, that's going to be really awesome, right? I, I don't think that's a terrible idea. I think that's that's not bad. I might try that sometime. but It's yeah. an idea. It, that's the only place that I see this going. You, I have to play standard, though. You do have to play regular standard, which is yeah. kind of a bummer. So, mm. <laughs> nope, he's off it. He's off it. All right, uh, and then the final Planeswalker in the cycle, Eliwick Tumblestrom, two green green. 
for loyalty, legendary planeswalker Ellie Wick. Plus one, venture into the dungeon. Minus two, look at the top six cards of your library. You may reveal a creature card from among them and put it into your hand. If it's legendary, you gain three life. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. Minus seven, you get an emblem with creatures you control. Have trample and haste and get plus two, plus two for each differently named dungeon you've completed. I'm going to hand this one right over to you, Covert Go Blue. Thanks. And I also Thanks. think this this could be a good opportunity for us to just start talking about venture, right, in this format, because it's the first time we've seen it. So I'll I'll, I'll kind of put that on a little tray and, and pass it your way. All right, yeah, I, I was going to, like, swap that category so it led right into venture because why not we've got a venture planeswalker here and this is what i meant when i said there might be two cycles where green got the worst card red is trying though like red it, is it's trying hard red man. is trying, trying. <laughs> red, red might have gotten there with being worse but eliwick tumblestrom <laughs> is not a bad card the by design What's bad, unfortunately, what's underpowered is the venture, the quality of the mm-hmm. venture cards that are available to help Eliwick Tum- Tumblestrom do work. Because yeah. they're just, it's really hard to play a decent, to play decent venture cards, then drop Eliwick and use the plus one to get like really deep into the dungeon so that the plus one really hits. Yeah. And uh, that has been my experience so far with the card is that there's too much, there's, there's almost no impact at the early stages of the dungeon. The middle of the dungeon is not quite up to par for what you would expect your planeswalker to do. A lot like the plus one plus O in haste or the devil of the red one. You know, you're you're like hitting plus one to make a treasure. You're hitting plus one to make a one one goblin token, something like that. And then when you hit the late stages of the dungeon, you just don't usually get there before something terrible has happened to you. So uh Let's yeah, let's use Eliwick and we're gonna transition right into venture. You cool with me just yep. going right take, into it? Take it away, man. Take it away. This is the limited mechanic of the set because they, in my opinion, just didn't give us enough venturing into the dungeon at solid rate to build good curves and to build cards that really affect the battlefield, are hard to interact with and get the job done. Now, I've got a list of the venture cards we're going to talk about, and it might sound a little negative, but I think we should bring up what actually is close to working, not because they're going to give us more venture cards. They probably won't. This is probably all we have. But the brewers out there who love this mechanic, I want to point you to a few cards if you can make it work, because there are some people Mm. who are not going to believe us no matter what we say. And they're and and God bless them. They've got good hearts. Go in there. If you break the format and you make venture, absolutely rock. Good for you. You know, I, I'll be happy for you. I really mm. will. So, um, Eliwick. Okay, why is Eliwick like one of the only green cards that's a good venture card? Is also a pretty big issue. Exactly. There's just not great support in green. I mean, there's yeah. that one green. Let's see, what's that card called? Uh... I don't even think we have it on our list. So there's a, there's a green three drop, which uh, ventures whenever you cast another creature. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's legendary, has ward. Um, yep. I, I thought about putting that one on our list. And then I tried to think of a single good thing I could say about it. Um, yeah. Varys. Yeah, exactly. Varys, Silvery Moon Ranger, the one green green three three with reach and ward one. 
Yeah. This is a human elf ranger. Whenever you cast a creature or planeswalker, venture into the dungeon. This triggers once each turn. And whenever you complete a dungeon, create a 2-2 wolf token. Would be great if you were completing dungeons often, but it needs to survive a turn because often mm-hmm. you can't double spell. The double green is actually really rough on the mana. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think the biggest thing I could say for that card is that ward one is not enough. It 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 get it still dies to a frostbite for just two mana or a dragon's yeah. fire for three mana. It just doesn't it doesn't get you there. It's really hard to get this card to survive. Well, it, which is I think one of Eliwick's main issues is just that you want I think you want the turn that you drop Eliwick for that venture to really hit right. Yeah, because if if you're able to like drop Eliwick venture and make the 4-4 death touch token in the same turn then yeah you're doing it your deck is sweet um but i just don't see the support to actually get us there and i especially in green in green right exactly so that that's you know you have like two double green cards that you need to curve into but then the early part of your curve is going to need to be some other combination of colors so yeah it just doesn't it just doesn't quite line up so the venture cards I have on the list that might be able to create a good curve and give you some venturing. Uh, the first one I have is Yuan T. Malison. I get Malison from Game of Thrones. Malison. Yuan T. Malison. Uh, one and a blue for a 2-1 snake rogue rare. And this card can't be blocked as long as it's attacking alone. And whenever it deals combat damage to a player, venture into a dungeon. So you have a rogue. And it's a 2-1 for 2, and it can't be blocked, and you get a little of, bit of value on connect. I, Yeah, I mean, is, it, it, it's it a can, start. <laughs> it can do the thing. It can yeah. definitely do the thing. Yeah, yeah it's, so, it's not like a flagrantly embarrassing 2-drop. If you, I, I think that where you want to be is you got to get this down, and then you have to protect it. Mm. So fortunately, blue has some cards that'll do that, some of which we'll talk about coming up and cards like counter spells, you know, come to mind. But I think that that is one way that you can try to navigate the dungeons is to make this card early and then defend it. And that that plays along with another card I'm going to talk about in a second. But if you can create a venturing threat and then guard it in the way that the mono blue tempo deck did before, you will probably make your way through a few dungeons. Yeah, I saw Crokies do some good work with this in the mono blue deck. Didn't seem terrible. Nice. Well, yeah. that that is a hot take review from Arjuna. Didn't seem terrible. Didn't That's seem okay. terrible. Yeah, I, I'm guessing I can move right along. <laughs> you, you can. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna stay on this team on uh, this blue kind of protected line really quick, and I'm gonna mention Fly. So mm-hmm. Fly is. <laughs> I, I have expected it to be a creature insect. It's it's kind of funny to me that we now have a card that's just called Fly. I also made a joke about this when it was revealed because they were going through this you see a guard on watch phase and a lot of us were like, what are these card names? And I, I my joke name for this was you find yourself to be flying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you find yourself in midair. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> Thanks. Um <laughs> But this is a one blue enchantment aura enchant creature. It's an uncommon enchant creature has flying. And whenever this creature deals combat damage to a player, venture into the dungeon. It's kind of sweet that your mono blue deck can have evasion and then also have a value for hitting. So it's like part of the curious obsession baked into one, if that makes sense. Cause you always need evasive creatures for your curious obsession. Mm-hmm. But this is 
still a long time. Like it's a lot of work to get a curious obsessions worth of value out of this card, but it ties into what I was saying with the blue protected theme. Well, so this, this joins a proud tradition of like, you know, some pretty proven archetypes, right? Like this plays well in an auras archetype. I think this is a fine card to consider in like a, um, I'm already forgetting the name of all the companions now. Oh, good. That must feel nice. Right? It's been so great. It's been so great. Uh, the Laris. Okay, so when I first saw this card, I was like, hmm, could this be a player in like the historic Azorius Auras deck, for example? So I think that Fly could definitely play a role in decks like that. I don't know if it's better than other existing options, but that was the first place that my mind went when I saw a card like Fly. I think it's a totally fine Laris include. You're right. There's this kind of like proud pedigree of getting some blue deck, suiting up some creatures with some nice pants and then protecting them. And I totally think Fly could be a part of that plan. All right. The <clears throat> the next one is a rare, and I do think we read this back when dungeons were first spoiled, which is Nadara's Selfless Paladin. But just a quick rundown is it's a three mana, three, three and white with vigilance. And whenever it attacks or enters the battlefield, you get to venture. And I think that's really cool. And, mm-hmm. and kind of key that you mm-hmm. get it both on the ETB and on the venturing. And then it has text that other creatures get an anthem, uh, plus one, plus one, as long as you've completed a dungeon. I found any text that says as long as you've completed a dungeon to be flavor text. For the to most be honest. part. Yeah, For the most part, yeah. It's been kind of silly to me. What do you, Have you played with Nadar? I've not played with it. I've played against it. Um, this card is definitely not bad. So um, this this is actually a key player in the only venture deck which I have been at all impressed with or has made any uh, impression on me. And that is Ozov Venture in Standard 2022. So I've seen this card put in some good work along with another card that I put on this list, Triumphant Adventurer. Mm-hmm. So let me read that card because I think these two kind of work pretty well together. So, Triumphant Adventure is a white and a black 1-1 Death Touch Human Knight at rare. As long as it's your turn, Triumphant Adventure has first strike, and whenever Triumphant Adventure attacks Adventure into the dungeon, I'm going to just say it and then throw it back to you for your piece. This is like the only card that's adventured on that's ventured on me multiple times. Yes, like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so that's... Um, in a creature matchup, I found this card to be incredibly annoying. Um, you just you can't block it. You can never block it, right? Mm-hmm. And it's cheap, so it does come down pretty early. And if you don't have removal for it, yeah, it can venture a lot. And I've so I've had scenarios in which my opponent managed to stick multiple of these and just keep attacking. And they can get you in a tough spot where you're you're forced to deal with their bigger creatures to keep up. So, for example, you can... Or just their more impactful creatures, right? You can do stuff like um, you get one of these down, and then let's say you play it, you follow it up with a Luminarch Aspirant, right? And then you don't really want to use your removal spell on, you know, on the Adventurer because you need to handle the Aspirant. Or maybe, you know, they're playing an aggressive deck, so they start clocking you with some Spellbinders or something. And so you get into this space where this is just like... It's basically the one that gets away. It's the creature you have to let live. There's always in an aggro deck, there's always that one creature that you need to like leave on the battlefield. And this card ends up being that a surprising amount of the time. So um, I've 
I have multiple times lost to this deck playing mono green, which I think is one of the best decks in the format. Um, and it's just because of that. And uh, yeah. so the, this deck does actually somewhat consistently complete a dungeon. It's probably worse against like CGB style decks that are just very, very good at handling creatures. But um, I have found this deck to be a player. And within that deck, I think Nadar was a totally fine three drop. Yep. I, a curve with Adventurer and Nadara I found to be the, I guess, the closest thing to Turbo Dungeon, if you want to call yeah. it that. Yeah. Totally. Oh. Um, the deck also that I have seen it probably plays like a couple copies of Acerarak. So let's. Uh... Oh, are you reading? You're reading, right? <laughs> I, I'm trying. Acerarak. <laughs> okay, sure. <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll call it that. So the Acerarak <laughs> the Arc Lick is Art Lich. That's another one I'm getting a hard time for. I think it, that Lick is a, appropriate in some in some places, but they they want Lich. Okay, fine. You know, uh, it's it's a made up word, dude. You can yeah. pronounce it how you want. So it's, lick, I just put a hard away, K on CGB. there. Hard Lick. <laughs> uh, Art Lick. Uh, it just sounds naughty, man. That's what it is. They're triggered. Uh, They're scared. They're scared yeah. of of accepting this. All right, two and a black, five, five, mythic, legendary creature, zombie wizard. When this enters the battlefield, if you haven't completed Tomb of Annihilation, which is the shortest dungeon, return this card to the owner's hand and venture into the dungeon. So if you haven't completed Tomb, this is three mana venture, basically, and you get nothing left over. But once you complete Tomb, it's a three mana five, five, but you don't venture that turn. So when, uh, when this card attacks... For each opponent, you create a 2-2 black zombie creature token unless that player sacrifices a creature. So you've been running into this card? Is it doing anything to you? Um, I, it's inconclusive, but in that specific Ozov deck, I did lose to it once. Um, I think, so Tomb of Annihilation is actually a good choice for an aggressive Ozov venture deck because here's what happens. They... They do. They venture once. Each player loses a life. So you lose a life, and then you lose another life from the attacking triumphant adventurer. Then next turn, if they venture again, you're almost certainly going to lose two more life because you don't want to discard a card, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then the next turn, you're almost certainly going to lose two more life in Sandfall Cell because you don't want to sacrifice an artifact, creature, or a land. And so what happens is that the Tomb of Annihilation ends up dealing five extra damage to you. Uh, and then the fourth venture is Cradle of the Death God. And so you'll end up in these situations where you've already taken a little bit more damage from the Triumphant Adventurers and the Tomb of Annihilation than you really wanted to. And then they'll end up, around the same time, they'll end up with a 4-4 Death Touch creature and a Sererak on the battlefield. And you can have these curves where, like, suddenly they've completed Tomb of Annihilation and you're just staring down this really formidable board from your opponent. So um, it can, like, the deck can definitely reach this crescendo on, like, turn five or something where suddenly you're like, wow, I'm so far behind in this game. Yeah, uh, so if you want to be the ultimate dungeon venturer, like, really... Have you considered playing this card in Historic with Omniscience? I have not considered that, actually. <laughs> All right, think it through. Just consider that you don't have to ever 
do the Tomb of Annihilation. You can just keep completing the other two dungeons. That's actually kind of sweet. That's yeah. just game over, right? Because yeah, you make that's pretty much infinite, infinite treasures. Yeah, yeah, infinite treasures, infinite yeah. one ones, infinite draw three, play oh, a card that's for free. Sweet, dude. <laughs> that's actually really sweet. Isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you just need 10 mana, dude. <laughs> this card's definitely weird, and it may end up being an oddity that no one really plays, but I, I've seen it do work, and it is powerful. All right. Anyway, I th- I'm not sure that the Ozov list that I was talking about is tier one, but I think it could, you know, it could be tier two or t- th- tier three, and I think you could, I think you could win some games with it in standard 2022. I think you'll win some games. I don't think it's a tier deck. I I've just had, I've farmed the hell out of everybody who's brought that to me, and I just I like I built it, and I think I played like a game, and I was like, nope, not for me. <laughs> I think so. that there are some matchups that are like don't fare as well against it. Okay. I the the last uh venture card I want to mention is Dungeon Map. And this is three mana for an artifact at uncommon that taps for a colorless. And for three, you can tap it and venture into the dungeon, activate only as a sorcery. And I want to mention this because I think if there's a card that you just put in a deck that like kind of gets this value from the fact that you have access to dungeons no matter what, but it doesn't take up any slots in your deck. Like, like, like it's just free value on the table. I think this is it. I think when you think about mana rocks, you think about they've discovered that you can sacrifice your mana rock to draw a card. You know, they've had a few that have done that uh, recently. Um, something relic from Ikoria is one of them. Uh, but yeah, like there's uh, Hedron archive is an artifact that you can, that makes mana, but you can sacrifice it to draw cards, but they figured out that if you have your ramp and then your ramp also for pretty much any amount of mana just happens to draw a card as well. Then it also becomes like this late game inevitability engine on its own. And there's not much downside or cost to playing it. So they don't make those cards. This is close because if you have nothing else to do and you ramped and you didn't get there, now you can venture into a dungeon with your mana and get some extra value. I don't know what decks like three is a tough spot on the curve because yeah. there's so many good cards. And right now there's cultivate and standard, but I, I have a feeling that there are ramp decks that should just play dungeon map instead of another like ramp spell. And uh, yeah, it might not be terrible. Did they have to put that sorcery speed clause on this card? Because oh, yeah. that's just oh, yeah. killing me, dude. Nobody can venture me. into a dungeon at instant speed. It's, it's unheard of. It's <laughs> absolute madness. N- not even a snake rogue, I guess. I just like, <laughs> if I don't think this card would have been too good if instant speed were on it. And I think it just would have opened up a lot more options for playing dungeon maps. So I'm, I'm kind of bummed about that. Stewart and should have been able to venture into a dungeon at instant speed. If anyone I, could, he could. I agree. All right. I agree. Next category? Next category. All right. Treasure-themed cards. I'm glad you handed me this one because I've definitely been enjoying watching the treasure play out in this format. And initial results are, yeah, I think you can be treasuring. I don't know if it, again, is, like, really tier. Um but I've seen these treasure decks do good good stuff, and especially in combination with some of the other cards on this list. So, for example, um, yeah, you know, we've, we've already read some of these cards before, so I'm going to just kind of briefly go over them again. 
So Forsworn Paladin is the 1-1 for one black mana that you can tap one and a black to pay one life and create a treasure token. You can also pump creatures and give them death touch. This card has definitely done stuff in matchups that I've played. Um, Some decks, I think, have been not as well set up to play it as others have. But I have found that that threat of death touch has been surprisingly annoying to play against. And I've also found, like, so I think Rakdos Treasure is definitely a thing that you can be doing. Um, Another card which uh, a number of people have been higher on than I imagined, uh, which seems to be doing some things, is Kalein. So, Kalein Reclusive Painter. This is red-black for a 1-2 legendary creature, human elf bard at Uncommon. When Kalein Reclusive Painter enters the battlefield, create a treasure token. So that's very nice. It's basically your Rakdos Innkeeper, but this card is better than the Innkeeper. Other creatures you control enter the battlefield with an additional plus one, plus one counter on them for each mana from a treasure spent to cast them. So right off the bat, this card can just help you do things like, for example, cast a goldspan dragon on turn four, and it comes in as a five, five. Yeah, that's really sweet. Where this deck starts to get pretty filthy is in combination with another card, which you put in a different category, but I want to bring it up now because I think this card is very good in this deck, which is Orcus. Probably doesn't go in that category. I put it in anyway, so go for it. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Okay, so Orcus, Prince of Undeath. This card is real. This is X, 2, black, red. So it costs a minimum of 4 mana, and then you can pay X mana on top of that. This card is a legendary creature demon at rare. It is a 5-3. It's also a flying trampler. When Orcus, Prince of Undeath, enters the battlefield, choose 1. You can choose each other creature gets minus X, minus X until end of turn. You lose X life, so use it as a little board wipe. Or you can choose number two, return up to X target creature cards with total mana value X or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. They gain haste until end of turn. Here's what you need to know about Orcus. Orcus gets really insanely good when you have a lot of treasure on the battlefield. And that is because it lets you have a lot more flexibility about how much you can spend X for. The other thing that you can do is like, let's say you've resolved a couple of Kalanes over the course of a game and they've died. You can bring a Kalein and maybe like another treasure generating creature back from the graveyard and then generate additional treasure when they enter the battlefield and then do other stuff with the treasure. If you also have a gold span dragon in play, then you can just start to generate filthy amounts of mana and you can just have these epic turns where you spent like 16 mana and took like four game actions and just killed your opponent in one turn. So I think that like some Rakdos deck running Orcus and Kalein and Goldspan Dragon and uh, you know maybe the Paladin, I don't know. I just like I think that there's a package that you can fill out there which is going to be surprisingly strong. I agree with all of that. I wanted to say that thanks to Kalein, I played a nine nine Goldspan Dragon. Oh heck yeah, dude! <laughs> I. Don't ask me how it yeah. came to this, but it did. That is epic. I re- and I remember I hadn't like really read the card correctly because it gets... So other creatures you control enter the battlefield with an additional plus one, plus one counter on them for each mana from a treasure spent to cast the spell. Yeah. So, I mean, if you have four treasures and you spend them all on the gold span, it gets plus four, plus four. If you have a gold span on the field already, 
and you use the mana sacrifice from the treasures for double mana from the gold span, it's a plus one plus one counter for each mana you pump into the creature. Oh, that's a very nice yeah. combo. Yeah, so you can like yeah. sack two treasures, play an Orcus, and it will get plus four plus four. Yeah, which is yeah. filthy. Yeah, it's, it's, it's filthy. cool. It's really yeah. cool. So this deck can go off real hard, and there's there's plenty of things you can do with it. You could try to incorporate a third color if you wanted to. I've seen various builds of it, and some of them have looked quite strong to me. You know, like, for example, I've seen a Grixis build, which you can, you know, get additional utility from cards like Pris- uh, Galaseth Prismari, also Prismari Command. Those are both cards that make you treasures, and, you know, Galazeth is just an excellent card to bring back from the graveyard with Orcus. Stop, stop. You're giving the Grixis hope. You're giving the <laughs> Grixis hope. What are you doing? I know, man. What am I doing? Grixis Triome, when? But, I mean, you you have a much greater likelihood of pulling off your Grixis nonsense when your deck contains approximately a billion cards that make treasures. So we could probably talk a lot about this deck, but I think people, there will be many, many iterations of a deck that looks something like that. And I think one of them is going to end up being very good. I want to play it more because I think I'll have more to say about it in the future if we play it more. Um, so I would... Uh, yeah, let's we'll come back to the deck, but I do think it's a really a really cool deck that is a whole new archetype basically unlocked by this theme in the set. Yeah, totally. Um okay, have you seen or done anything cool with Prosperous Innkeeper? Yes. Okay. I want to hear about that. All right. So, Prosperous Innkeeper, it was reviewed a long time ago, but it's the 2 mana 1/1 one, one that makes a treasure and you gain life whenever a creature enters the battlefield. This card, for one thing, um, there's a life gain deck in green-white. There's a theme that's supported, and it looks like an absolute pile of trash. I'm, I'm just getting it out there. It looks, when you see it on paper, you roll your eyes and say, I'm not even playing it. When you play it, you win. And it, it features a lot of cards. I think if you were looking through like building a deck in your mind, you wouldn't get there. Because... It's a bunch of the cards that aren't actually standard legal. They're only legal in best of one arena because they're part of the intro decks. We're talking about like Hollowed Priest and Imperious Orator or something something like that. Um, so these are just more of these like life gain. Soul Mender is another one. Like these are cheap life gain clerics that are, I mean, honestly, if you're a magic snob, maybe I've been guilty of this. It, it's like they're from the intro decks. You're not, you're not paying attention. You know Maybe I, mean? I might have once or twice cast <laughs> cast question <laughs> on these life gain decks. But these cards are get huge. Like they get absolutely huge. And there's uh, kind of a better green and white, um, green and white life gain pride mate in this set. The legendary Tur- one, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and pronounce this however the hell I want to. <laughs> Trailasara Moon Dancer is uh, a two-two white and a green for and a Johnny's Pride Mate that scries when you gain life. And we talked about scrying being a scam. I'm gonna tell you what. In a life gain deck that is built to create life gain triggers by playing decent cards like Prosperous Innkeeper, the scrying where you otherwise have no card draw or card selection of any kind is not a scam. <laughs> you, no. you just you just hit a, one of your payoffs. Instead of all your dorky enablers, you're like scrying your way to a payoff 
every turn. So every turn is another Righteous Valkyrie. Every turn is another, uh, we'll get to Claret class in the future. Like, uh, like the good stuff. It, it's very, mm-hmm. it's actually really sweet. So that deck is good. And it, you, this started because you asked me about Prosperous Innkeeper decks. Yeah. I'm playing it a lot in Gruel Dragons. Dragon, dragon decks with green. Love this card. Not so much for the life gain, but just for the ramp. The treasures are excellent. Uh, this, this card is actually just very good as like a weird one-shot mana dork in so many ways. I love this card. Anywhere where you have fodder, sacrifice fodder, like a um, a Plum the Forbidden green-black deck that uses life gain with uh, Dina to drain you is also like on the table. And most of these would suck without Prosperous Innkeeper. I'm into the card. Yeah, I think the card enables enough that there's. it just gives you a lot of possibilities. And I think that we are only beginning to see those. And I think the Prosperous Innkeeper is the kind of card that's just going to keep showing up, like throughout yeah. standard right you're just it's going to show up in a surprising number of decks we we figured when we first saw this that it might be that and i think it has lived up to that so far yep good card so just solid role player um it's an uncommon so just craft them all and uh, have fun all right um uh okay there's another card that you put in a different category but i did want to read it uh for the treasure it's actually like my Probably the most exciting treasure card in the set for me personally. Unexpected Windfall. Oh, yeah. That makes sense. Okay, so Unexpected Windfall is um, two red red, and it's an instant. And basically, you draw two cards and then discard a card, and then you make two treasure tokens. So um, this is exactly the card. No, it's not exactly. It's close to the card Pirate's Pillage, which was a sorcery speed spell. And I believe that costs three and a red. Um, But this is basically an almost strictly better version of Pirate's Pillage. Pirate's Pillage has already seen play. And I just think that this card is like a pretty large upgrade. Um, I mean boy i like what can't you do with this card i think this card does everything that you want to do in so many different decks especially if you're like cgb if this card was blue i imagine you would just play it in like every deck ever right i play it in a lot of decks yeah because think about this right you leave up like turn four you leave up counter magic your opponent does something you're not that worried about you just draw two cards you make two treasures and you untap with seven mana potentially you probably do that's awesome but also flip it they did something i cared about i'm gonna draw two and then i'm gonna counter it with my treasures and then you're gonna counter it. i'm gonna do both i'm gonna have both yeah or i mean it gives you the dream of let's say you you know they play a creature you decide to take some damage you draw two you make two treasures next turn you drop a four mana wrath clear the board and you have three mana available to cast your counter spell the following turn it's easy mode, right? It's easy yeah. mode for a control deck. Those are all fair, like fair ways to do it. Yeah. A card that makes two treasures is potentially abusable because in many ways you don't need much to pay for itself. So in the past we had like a thousand year storm in Pirate's Pillage, right? It, it just makes basically endless mana when you copy this. Here we have, so if you have, have ways to copy the spell, um, there's Rowan's, Planeswalker Emblem, for example. There is Teach by Example. There is Dual Strike. If you copy this, you just kind of get all your mana back. 
Yeah. So, yeah, exactly. I think it's great when played fair, and I think it could be very busted when played in unfair decks. I fully expect this to show up somewhere, and I would consider trying this in any treasure deck. Like, I would consider running at least one copy in any of my Goldspan Dragon decks. Wow. I mean, just, like, think about how hard you can go off, dude, if you, like, you cast this, you know, end of your turn three or turn four, you make some treasures, you slam a gold span, you swing, you make more treasure. I mean, you could, like, we could have scenarios where, you like, let's say you foretell Alrin's Epiphany, right, on turn two. And then, you know, you control your opponent's board on turn three, on turn four you cast this end of turn and then on turn five you resolve your gold spend dragon you swing in you take an extra turn right then like you're so likely to win that game you so, always you always play another all runs epiphany the next turn too if you're doing it right yeah or yeah. another gold spend dragon <laughs> either way you're just like totally crushing at that point so I, I fully expect to see Unexpected Windfall show up, and I would be very surprised if it didn't end up being a good card in some deck. All right, cool. Let's pass along to the classes here, CGB. Take us into this. So I there's all these classes. I haven't played with a lot of them. There's a lot of them that I just... I'm not even interested in reading them all because these have so much text... And I'm just like over it by the time I get halfway through number two, like level two. Um, but there are a couple that come with board impact or significantly contribute to a game plan. And because of that, I think that they're worth talking about. So we're going to read three of the classes. If we don't read the class, um, you can put the words into my mouth. I, I'm not, I, I haven't even read the whole thing and I don't want to just, just assume that's the situation. So um, the first pass, the, the pass, the first pass at a class that I'm going to talk about is Paladin class. Paladin class is white and it is one in a white for a, an enchantment. How do I explain the classes? Let's see. There are enchantments that have an ability, and then you can pump more mana into them to get them to different, quote, levels to add abilities to the enchantment. So it's not an either-or. It doesn't lose the first ability. It gains more abilities as you go. So they're really cool mana sinks, quite honestly. Paladin class is one white for spells your opponents cast during your turn. Cost one more to cast. Level two, two and a white. Creatures you control get plus one, plus one. And level three, four and a white. Whenever you attack until end of turn, target attacking creature gets plus one, plus one for each other attacking creature and gains double strike. So have you played with this one? Uh, I've not played with it. I've played against it. And I have definitely witnessed it do some pretty powerful things. I've seen people play it in decks that I personally didn't think were a very good use of it. I do think that it's a pretty good sideboard card in general yeah. in like white creature decks. The first ability hasn't been that impactful against me just because of the decks I've chosen to play, but I found that the second ability to just kind of do it whenever you feel like it, right? You just kind of whenever it makes sense to pump the team, I think can be really strong. I haven't yet seen anyone activate the third ability, but I think that that can be very threatening in the right situation as well. I I bring this up because I, I agree it's going to be a good sideboard card. 
in best of one, which 2022 is, when somebody plays this against me, I feel targeted, man. <laughs> I, I feel like when they turn one paladin class me and I look at my handful of like dragon fires and saw it coming and I'm like, oh God. Yeah, doesn't feel oh, good. Oh no. <laughs> this is so bad. Yeah. Dude. Oh. Especially if you're on the draw, oh, right? You're like, yeah. now you're on the double draw. There's a red button that can make all this pain stop and it becomes tempting <laughs> immediately. Like, um, I actually ran this in weird spots where I was uh, running a, like a combo that needed to be defended and you just run this to try to make their life harder to interact on your turn. Removal spells are already kind of expensive. So any kind of instant speed stuff that the opponent wants to do, getting hit with paladin class is kind of brutal. Can, have you ever Have you ever had to pay the student cost of a baleful mastery and let the opponent draw a card and you pay three for that. It, Oh no, that hurts. That hurts deep in the soul. So, uh, I, I mostly mention it because chapter one is so brutal to certain decks. And if those decks are meta, this card is one of the few ways to fight them and punish them for their flashy on your turn, instant speed behavior in the format. Yeah, I mean, one of the cool things about this card is that it has text against control decks and it has text against other creature decks. So it's it's going to butter one side of the bread for you regardless. Like, it's it's hard to think about a matchup where this card is doing nothing for you. Could exist, but um, yeah, I mean... So one of the things that I have come to... I thought about this theoretically and it has definitely come to pass is that it's just really excellent to have relevant mana sinks in your deck. Things don't always go according to plan, or sometimes your curve doesn't work out that well, and you're looking at your hand and you're like, well, I could play this inconsequential one drop, and it's the only thing I can play this turn. Or maybe it's even a two drop that just doesn't really do very much, or you don't really want to play it right now. And you're on turn three, and you're like, no, I actually have something relevant to do. I'll just sink my mana into this class, and then next turn, I'll untap with the four mana and do something, you know, good. And from then on, you get that benefit from the rest of the game. So I found that the classes are just really good. If they're, if, if they're doing other good stuff for your deck, it's also just excellent to have that mana sync available to you. And sometimes it's even the threat of activation. Like, for example, I played against... I saw a couple of different people trying these, like, Selesnia-based uh, token decks playing Battle for Bratagard and some other token makers. So I'll remind you what this card does. Battle for Bratagard, one green-white, and it's a saga. It's in Kaldheim. It creates, uh, chapter one creates a 1-1 one, one white human warrior creature token. Chapter two creates a 1-1 one, one green elf warrior creature token. And then chapter three basically doubles tokens any tokens you have on the battlefield with different names so this deck was sweet by the way i think you would have enjoyed this cgb this deck played a lot of learn cards and it fetched token makers from the sideboard and it had a top end of a mascot exhibition if this person had had two mascot exhibitions in their sideboard they would have crushed me but they they didn't so spoiler alert you should do that if you're running this deck but anyway um so they were doing these filthy things like they were just like making a bunch of tokens, doubling them up with battle for Bratagod. And then they were just, you know, they had multiple paladin classes out on the battlefield. Spoiler alert, these classes can stack really well. So they they just like had the whole team buffed by like plus two, plus two. They kept on churning out tokens. And then it got to the point where like 
I had to look at this four and a white uh, level three activation on Paladin class. Whenever you attack, target attacking creature gets plus one, plus one for each other attacking creature and gains double strike. That was terrifying, you know? Like, they, w- they went wide. Like, they, could, they threatened some really disgusting attacks with this card. So anyway, that was a long way around of saying that there are many ways that you can abuse a card like this. The next class we're going to talk about is Cleric Class. <laughs> cleric Class is one white for an enchantment, and if you would gain life, you gain that much life plus one instead. That's level one. Level two is three and a white. I call this Heliod at home. Whenever you gain life, put a plus one, plus one counter on target creature you control. <laughs> we, we have Heliod at home. That's all there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really proud of that one. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Four and a white, level three. When this class becomes level three, target, return target creature. (laughs) You got me. You got me. Return target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield. You gain life equal to its toughness. And the life gain deck I was describing with Prosperous Innkeeper and those cards that shall not be named from various intro decks is made really good by Cleric Class. Normally, I hate the line of text of that much plus one life, but just to have a critical mass of life gain cards, I'm running Angel of Vitality, which becomes a 4-4 and kind of doubles up with this so that every one life gains you three and et cetera, et cetera. And then I'm also running righteous Valkyrie. So hitting 27 is critical. And um, like this card actually stacks up really fast, but only specifically for that life gain deck. And I think it's very much um, an important part of that. So I just wanted to basically use it to talk about that deck, although we kind of alluded to it already because of the Prosperous Innkeeper. The level mm-hmm. two, while it is a meme, it is not a joke. It, it, it gets the job done. When you start getting plus one, plus one counters for your life gain triggers in a deck that does nothing but gain life, you're going to have some huge, awesome creatures. So Cleric yeah. Class is something that you're going to need to craft, and it's only an uncommon if you want to play that life gain deck. Yeah, and again, just just a reminder, you can't have multiple Heliods on the battlefield at the same time, but you can have multiple Cleric Classes out. So it stacks up, man. It stacks up. I I also just want to say, like, having mana sinks in this format are going to be a big topic of next week's show, but classes that are decent mana sinks, even though those abilities, when I first read, like, some of these, I was like, that effect is overcosted. Mm-hmm. doesn't matter. It's just there. Mm-hmm. It's there when you need it. It's there when it's the right yep. option. It's there to punish the guy who held up a counter spell, right? Yeah, um, that's so it. that you get something out of your mana. Well, yeah. and another thing to note is that a lot, like for example, these white decks are probably going to be playing a bunch of cheap cards, right? So if you're playing a, a deck that aims to empty its hand by turn four or five, then every turn after that, it's gravy, right? So, I mean, I think that these these cards, especially. The classes reward decks that want to empty their hand. Um, and that's why these, like, yeah, exactly, a five-mana overcosted ability, it's not that big of a deal. And this next one definitely rewards you for emptying your hand, is definitely a mana sink, and in my opinion, is the best in class. And by that far. Is by Ranger far. class. Rangers lead the way. Uh, one and a green. This is an enchantment at rare. When Ranger class enters the battlefield, create a 2-2 wolf 
creature token. Level two is one in a green. Whenever you attack, put a plus one, plus one counter on target attacking creature. Level three, three in a green. You may look at the top card of your library anytime. You may cast creature spells from the top of your library. Do you ever find it weird that on Arena, like you're supposed to be able to look at your top card anytime, but they just replace that text and make it all the time? You don't like, yep. have to click to kind of peek or anything. <laughs> you know what I mean? You should have to peel it like we do in paper, right? You should have to just slow drag you your like mouse. You see to, the corner of it come slow up. slow peel it. Yeah, that's what it should be. Anyway, I know you've got stuff to say about this card, so go. This card is Bazonkers. Okay, so when I first saw this card, I was like, wow, is this card, like, really good? Wow, is this card actually, like, really, really, really good? I'm here to tell you this card is really, really, really good. So, okay, uh, where do I begin? First of all, this card gives you two relevant permanents. It gives you a 2-2 on turn 2, and it gives you a very relevant piece of cardboard in Ranger class. So it is just a bona fide 2-for-1, which I none of the rest of the classes that I can see do that for you. So, um, And a 2-2-for-2, two, two two, it's not embarrassing. It's not great, but it's not embarrassing, especially when it comes with a free enchantment attached to it. Next... At any point in the game after that, you can choose to spend one on a green, which is just not that much mana to activate the, you know, number two ability on this card. And then you have it for the rest of the freaking game. Mm -hmm. And it's just the combination of it being cheap and it being exactly what an attacking deck wants, which is just to make your attacking creatures bigger every single turn. It's disgusting, dude. So, I mean, on the baseline, you can do something... Like, I had this play pattern so often, right? So, like, let's say that, like, you know, on turn two, my opponent plays a Magda. And then on turn two, I play a Ranger class. And then on turn three, they play some other creature. And then on turn three, I activate Ranger class... I attack with a 3-3. Three, three. Now they can't like they can't really block with their Magda. Maybe they block with their 3-drop. They don't really want to trade their 3-drop for a token. And mm -hmm. then if they don't block, which is often what happens post-combat, you can just like uh, Blizzard Brawl and just take out either their Magda or their other 3-drop creature, right? Um, so that's like the fail case of this card, really. And then it just goes up from there. I, I had a lot of games in mono green where I'd play ranger class on two and then I'd drop an old growth troll on three and then I'd activate ranger class and maybe have some interaction or just maybe play another ranger class on turn four. Um, they stack amazingly well. You just start, like when you have two of these out, every time you attack, you get two plus one plus one counters. It starts to get disgusting when you have tramplers in your deck like the old growth troll, which you can start stacking the counters on. Your opponent doesn't really want to kill your old growth trolls because you're just going to get one back next turn and do it again. Um, it even does stuff like allowing your Seeker's Chariot to attack through blockers that it otherwise couldn't. And let me tell you, that feels bad, man. You're like, okay, I'm going to... Like you, can, like, you can even do stuff like this. Let's say you get your Seeker's Chariot down on turn four or even turn three in a deck that runs mana docks. The opponent's like, okay, well, I'm going to play this big blocker. At least they can't attack profitably with their Chariot. Then on turn four, you just, uh, the next following turn, you drop Ranger class and you buff it and you're already attacking for plus one on that Chariot. And it just, it can just put your opponent in such a bind. 
Um, another thing I want to say about this is it is a surprisingly annoying combination with Faceless Haven. This plus Faceless Haven is just a face-smashing machine, man. Mm-hmm. You've got two permanents, neither of which are creatures on your opponent's turn, which combine to just create an incredibly resilient and difficult threat which grows every turn this is before we've even spent we've even activated level three on the card okay so this card would already be good enough with the first two um level three is gravy i haven't activated it that many times simply because my deck usually has something like a faceless haven or just something else to do with its mana but should you get to the place where you have nothing else to do this is an amazing ability. You activate it for four, and then you're just playing creatures off the top of your deck. A control opponent who wants the game to go long is basically going to cry when you do that. So uh, this card is just an absolute trouncing. It's if you're not paying attention, you don't realize how much it's beating you. I think a lot of I, I think it's hard if if you are listening to this or watching this and you haven't played against or with the card, you don't really. Like, none of this sounds like a lot. Here's what's up. If this were a creature, if it were just all on one creature, if it weren't the enchantment that makes a creature, but it were just a 2-2 creature with all this text, it would be garbage. Yep. Because you, the opponent would just kill it with a cheap spell, because everybody's ready to kill a creature in this world, and then you'd have nothing left over. It's... It's the fact that it's on the, it's a perfect use of the class enchantment, quite honestly. I wouldn't be surprised if in the future more classes make creatures because it, it, it makes such a difference that this enchantment that sits around and has this ability that you can put mana into it when it matters is what beats you. The level two, the level two is the difference between you being able to, your opponent being able to stabilize the battlefield. When they play their Galazeth Prismari, when they play their uh, Desert Doom, right? The level two, you activate that, and now you're still attacking your smaller creature into those. And you, like, we don't want that trade. We do not want our four drop or our five drop dragon trading with that puny little like fodder creature you played, right? And and that's why they can push damage. Like we can't stabilize. Like control mage can't stabilize the battlefield with a creature or a dragon, which is so often the strategy in this format. And then level four. If you blink and you look really hard, they've got an experimental frenzy. Yep. What? <laughs> what? Yep. <laughs> it's what? bonkers. It's not even an overcosted experimental frenzy. It just yeah, they just frenzy you. Like and and all of a sudden, and I, uh, most of the players who are having success with this card in in mono green have figured this out. They run the Kazandu Mammoth, they run the Tangle Florahedron in their land spots so that they can just keep going off the top just with the modal creature the lands. Yeah, just exactly. bam, bam, bam. Oh my gosh. This this card is might be the best card in the set. After I mean, playing, and- after playing the games, I would have never said so before. After playing yeah. the games, I'm starting to be convinced. This must be a true nightmare for you as a control mage, right, CGB? Did you have to go there? I'm trying to be objective <laughs> and a professional over here, dude. The, dude, I'd unprint this thing. Can I? Can, can, can we get a ban? Can a control mage yeah. get a ban? Can I get a this, ban? One this time? is going to be the grown test card of the set. I promise you. Especially like one of the things I love about this card is like let's say that your opponent, you know, like your is it dragon's opponent on turn two 
they just say go, right? They leave their mana up. And you're like, oh yeah, they left up a removal spell. And you just drop Ranger class. They're not going to feel good about killing your token. And they will have to do it anyway. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's just... Oh, this card's so punishing. This yeah, card is man. so punishing. Okay, so where is this card bad? This card is bad if your opponent is also aggressive and they're ahead of you, right? If you, A, never get a chance to attack... I guess that's it. A of all, you never get a chance to attack. The rest of this card is irrelevant, right? Because um, you played a 2-2 for 2, which is an undercosted or overcosted threat, I should say. And your opponent runs you over, and this card didn't end up doing very much. So that's the one scenario in which Ranger class is not great. But mm-hmm. having said that, it's not even embarrassing. It's just not that great. So... You know, that's that's kind of the that's the floor on the card, I would say. Yep. And I, I'll say, like, I've been in a situation where my opponent's board was Swarm Shambler, the 2-2 Wolf Token, Old Growth Troll, and Ranger Class on level one. And I play Skyclave Apparition and I target the Ranger Class. Yes. Yeah, I've been there. Like that yes. and I think it was right. And that's how insane this thing can be. So, yeah, just a few synergies. This with Swarm Shamble is great. You can just get all of your creatures kitted up with counters, and then every time they get targeted, you get a 1-1, which is amazing. In my version of the deck, I'm also running some copies of Auron Reef Ooze. And so as a reminder of what this card does, this is from Zendikar Rising. Two and a green, 2-2. Two, two. When the Ooze enters the battlefield, put a plus one, plus one counter on target creature you control. Whenever the Ooze attacks, put a plus one, plus one counter on each attacking creature with a plus one, plus one counter on it. So I've had these curves where I regularly... This, this is like a nasty curve for this deck. You go turn one, Shambler. Uh, turn two, you play the ranger class. Turn three, you play ooze. And then turn four, you turn on the class and attack. And that, my friends, gives you three attacking creatures that each have two plus one plus one counters on it. Now, granted, that's if your opponent didn't disrupt you in any way, but I've pulled it off and it feels amazing. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> I'm terrified. Okay. So, yeah. Anyway, mono green is mono green is popping right now and it just makes me so happy. Because if you've been listening to the show for a while, you'll know that I am an OG mono green mage. I, I'm trying to give you all the space right here while we talk about Ranger class. I'm trying yeah, to give you yeah, all the space. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate that. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to like hand it back to you, CGB, and try not to talk as much for the rest of the podcast. <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, so I wanted to do a quick talk about the creature lands. I think at this point we've either read them all or everybody's seen them because they're going into basically everything, right? I, I, I thought it would just be a fun like little intermission to rank them. Like what okay. do you think is the like best to worst? And uh, do you want to take this on or do you want me to go first? I'll let you do a crack at it and then I'll, I, partially because I haven't really thought about it. Okay, I'm going to give my number one to the blue one. Shocking, I know. But uh, Hall of Storm Giants, I've won a stupid amount of games with the 7-7. It is in, also, I, as a control mage, I've tried to play around when my opponent has the 7-7, and it's insanely hard. Yes. It, yeah, you just, it's so hard to keep the mana available. I've had so many games that I would have lost if I just had a Faceless Haven that I won because it's a 7-7 ward and I was able to force my opponent to use their mana fighting a counter war that they had to win, but then they didn't have the mana left to handle the 7-7. So uh, I think Hall of Storm Giants is the winner. I think I think it's the real 
winner of the group. But that said, I think that they're all very, very good. Because yeah. one of the characteristics of the format that we'll get into next week is that you're just never out of attacking. If you mm-hmm. want to, if you are the beatdown, you never have to stop attacking. You can attack every turn with something because there's so many creature lands. Um, Den of the Bugbear is good. I've actually been amazed how often I'm pretty happy to trade it with my opponent's three toughness thing. Mm. Like you just mm-hmm. power it up and swing. Then if they block, yeah. they're down a battlefield presence. You're down a land and you have a one, one left over. Like, what do you, you think that sounds about right? I, I've always been high on Den of the Bugbear. I think it's a really good card. After that, I like Layer of the Hydra. I've seen this thing be huge, thanks to a lot of the treasures lying around. When we talk about mana sinks, Ranger class is a good one, but Layer of the Hydra never stops being sink. And you've mentioned Blizzard Brawl a few times. This is a card that was mostly under radar in Standard. is a big part, in my opinion of 2022 and having a hydra that you can pump that mana into to activate and then you can tap the hydra itself for mana to cast the blizzard brawl to kill something that got out of range or otherwise would be out of range i've seen that a few times Uh, it's a pretty crafty play you know i run one this is a one-of in my deck and it's basically just faceless haven number five not bad not bad just ensures i always have a creature land i like it more in like gruel or any other deck that really wants to scale mana maybe plays treasure i think hydra gets like a lot bigger once you get this thing into the kind of the same realm as the hall of the storm giants it's it becomes really scary really fast yeah uh, hive of the eye tyrant i haven't used the trigger very much i thought that exiling things from the graveyard would be relevant but in 2022 i don't think i've cared very much the menace is nice but the body seems underwhelming. So I haven't done much with Hive of the Eye Tyrant. Yep, neither have I. I. I have not activated it, not seen it activated. And the last one, what I have is the number five is Cave of the Frost Dragon. This is a 3-4 flyer that you basically need six mana to activate. At that phase, you're one mana away from like a Myria's Call, which is <laughs> yeah. like it's uh, it's like arm wrestling kind of for the spot and i've just found amiria's call to be so much better two four four flying angels uh versus one three four flying dragon so i don't think that the cave of the frost dragon is a zero i just think it's the least likely to get activated and be relevant i think i agree with you i think it, this one is currently tied with the black one in my mind um i don't know which one is worse but i i accept arguments for either one being the worst um one thing I want to say about this tier list is that it's so meta dependent and it's so dependent on what decks are good, right? Yeah. So yeah, like if if a black aggressive deck ends up being the best deck in the format, then all of a sudden Hive of the Eye Tyrant is like back on the menu, right? Um but I think you make a good point specifically with the white one that there might just be better land options at that mana cost. Um so you know, I think that that's a really good point. But yeah, I, that's that's ultimately what it comes down to for me. Um, I definitely agree with you that the best one so far has been the blue one. I just think that, like I said earlier in the podcast, that being able to threaten just ending the game with it all of a sudden is really good. And it being in a common controlling color means that you're just going to be a lot more likely to do something like, you know, Wrath the Bird, 
the following turn you counter or kill your opponent's threat, and then the the following turn you're just clocking them for seven minimum, right? Maybe you also have an Imrith or something else out. It's just so threatening, and it's such a game ender. And like you said, it's so it's going to be so crucial in control mirrors. Like I think it's going to be like a deciding card in control mirrors. Like if your opponent drew one and you didn't, you're just going to feel so far behind in those matches. Yeah. Big agree. The next section that we have to discuss here is underappreciated gems. These are cards which, you know, they kind of do something cool and where they're maybe not seeing very much play, but we still think that they're worth just discussing for the cool stuff they do. So the first card on the list is Frog Hemoth. And uh, surprisingly, I was not the person to add this to the list, believe it or not. (laughs) I've... I've had multiple viewers in my Twitch chat suggesting I play this card in my mono green deck. I have not yet, but let's read it. So three green green, creature frog horror at rare. It is a 4-4 trample haste. Whenever frog hemoth deals combat damage to a player, exile up to that many target cards from their graveyard. Put a plus one plus one counter on frog frog hemoth for each creature card exiled this way. You gain one life for each non-creature card exiled this way. So, Frog Hemoth, have you experienced this card? I have experienced getting Frog Hemoth, and when, like, you get... <laughs> when this thing is an 8-8 the next turn, <laughs> it feels so bad. Um, I added this card to the list, I, I think it was, like, two days ago, and at the time, it had just come down and, like, devoured me, as it does. And it's a pretty good card. It, it's good at what it does as kind of that finisher mop-up cleanup role. In the time since then, I think that there's a better just way to do this. And it's just the creature lands. I I, I think that almost every card that is like five mana or more, you just have to ask yourself, when I would cast this, would I be better off turning on my creature land and attacking? And I at the speed the format is, I think the answer is often you should be creature landing. And when that's the case, you should build your deck in a way that it's going to have the mana and the creature lands to do it with. Or other mana sinks that help you get back to that situation. Like, uh, we talked about Ranger class. When you activate Chapter 4, that isn't a frog hemoth. It doesn't end the game, but it sets you up to recreate a battlefield state that can. So I, I do think this is a gem. The art, the flavor, the text on it, it I don't know, it's more delightful in a lot of ways than Questing Beast. It's a cool card, but I think it comes up short of being like a star. I think you make a really good point. My mono green deck tops out at casting cost of four. And I originally started running Vorinclex in the list, and I just found myself either never getting there in terms of mana or just, yeah, having other things to do with my mana. So I think that that that's very insightful, and I 100% put my stamp of approval on that observation. Another thing is just that graveyard decks are not a big thing in Standard 2022. If you start seeing substantially more graveyard decks, and especially like... Like, for example, if that Rakdos Orcus deck that's reanimating is, like, doing a lot of things, you might have turns where, you know, maybe they, like, swing in with a Goldspan Dragon and you have an opening to just get in with your Frog Hemoth and just demolish 
their entire graveyard and that and and maybe the life gain as well maybe you gain some life and that helps you survive the crackback with another dragon attack so there, there could be these moments where frog game of the shines but i definitely wouldn't start it in any of my decks right now yep but cool. the next card i think is actually really good and needs a home like yeah it, i think it will get found Okay, yeah, this, this card is cool. Um, gelatinous Cube, two black-black creature ooze at rare for three, and it has when the cube enters the battlefield, exile target non-ooze creature. So this, this has the uh, it has the glory bringer text on it. Exile target non-ooze creature and opponent controls until Gelatinous Cube leaves the battlefield. And then it has this ability, pay X and a black, put target creature card with mana value X, exiled with Gelatinous Cube, into its owner's graveyard. So, yeah, this is... Uh, I agree. I think that this is a solid card. Um, it's a token killer, which I like. And it's even can be very good at just getting rid of cheap creatures, like your opponent plays a one-drop or a two-drop you want to get off the battlefield, and it can sometimes be negligible to just drop this and even you know, dissolve it in the same turn or whatever. But even if not... Um, this can just be an important tempo piece, and it's it can also it can sometimes feel a little bit like a like a Valky, right? It's like a little bit more of an expensive Valky, perhaps. But anyway, how how have you been seeing this card play out? I've I've really enjoyed every time I've played with this card. I've done a lot of Rakdos mid range primarily with this card, and a little bit of mono black with a Gray Merchant and some things like that, which is kind of fun. Um, so the First of all, you can play this on turn three off of the Painter and put a plus one, plus one counter on it. And hitting that fourth toughness with this card makes it a lot mm, harder to kill. It cool. actually matters a ton. And you get yeah. a five, four. That, that hits hard. So that, that's one play pattern that I really like. Another thing about this card is we've talked a little bit about the lack of Brazen Borrower in the format, but this does engulf tokens. You can just sweep that nasty token right off the battlefield with Gelatinous Cube and be ready to blink or reanimate the cube in the future to do it again. Because it is, again, a removal spell on a body has a lot of advantages when it comes to graveyard reanimation, when it comes to exiling it and returning it to the battlefield. So bouncing it to your hand, all these things. So I found this card a lot better than I... I don't see many people talking about it or getting excited about it, but I found it very good. I've also used the Dissolve ability a good amount. It's another mana sink, but it's a way to make sure that the dead stay dead. So I like that it has that out on it, and I've never been burned by the Exile Target non-ooze creature clause. So I think this card will have a home, and I think it's worth trying to find it. I agree. Yeah, it's it's a powerful card. Cards like this have been good in the past. Hostage Taker while better than this card was a very, very played card. And I, and I think this being mono black is uh, to its advantage. So very cool card. Okay. Next up magic missile. I'm glad that you put this one on the list because I definitely wanted to talk about this as well. So this is one red, red for an uncommon sorcery. The spell can't be counted. Magic missile deals three damage divided as you choose among one, two or three targets. So my main question for you, CGB, is, do, is has this been a main deckable card for you in this format? No. Okay. But I think it plays an important role, in, and it might get there if the meta goes in a certain way. 
because there's just too many things it can't interact with at all, like the dragons. I'm going to say that until people stop playing the dragons because they seem to be all the rage and they might be among the most powerful things going on. Like Magic Missile is embarrassing there. But it definitely has a part. And in standard, not standard 2022, it's really cool that you can play it in Jeskai Mutate to target your dragon Ooh. and pick off other things. I and, like that a lot. Yeah, yeah. I like that a lot. Yeah, that's a cool use case for it. But I mean, even against just decks like Mono White, for example, I think that this card could end up being very good in certain spots. Probably not with all of these doggos and stuff around. Uh, they kind of make this card a little embarrassing, but I don't know. Even just like maybe kill... Yeah, yeah. There are there are just plenty of spots for this to be picking off these little one toughness creatures, and you know, fairly often getting a two for one. So I'm I'm a fan of this card too, and I wouldn't be surprised if it sees some actual furrowed brow standard play, probably in the sideboard. Yeah, there is there is a white deck too that just kind of swarms the battlefield with all small creatures. Magic missile against the pair of clever. Clever Lumamancer and the uh, 2-2 one that also has Magecraft is pretty Ooh. awesome. Just cleans Ooh. them both up imme- immediately. Leonin Lightscribe. That's it. Leonin Lightscribe. You got it. Yep. So I'm I'm looking for Magic Missile to do more work once both Alcid and the Doggo have rotated out of the format. I expect it to be fairly good after that. I, I think you're going to be killing a fair amount of like... Um, Paulo Vitor Domodorosos with this card. So That's true. there you go. Okay. Um, Demo, Demo, however you pronounce it, Demo Gorgon's Clutches, two and a black sorcery at Uncommon. Target opponent discards two cards, mills two cards, and loses two life. So clearly you thought that this had a place in the format. What What is making Mind Rot playable at the moment? I think that this is the most aggressive Mind Rot that they've made. Uh, I played a tribal version of this whose name is really escaping me, and I don't think I'm going to get there, but it, it required you to have a vampire in play, and you could make your opponent discard two cards and lose two life. And that card, like, on the play was an absolute backbreaker mm. uh, in, in, like, an aggro-type shell. And mm. I think that there's a world where this card is a good sideboard card or a good curve filler, and I think it's actually important to keep around because the lose two life thing it doesn't seem like much we've had the version that like gains you one life and loses the opponent one life and i wouldn't play that but i think two life is a good threshold where you're playing a burn spell in a lot of situations and you're also getting card advantage from it and i think that that's playable i mean it is cool like in a mono black aggro deck or i guess any black aggro deck it could be a pretty good finisher or like an anti-control card, right? You pick certain points on the curve to play it, and it's just an incredibly annoying card to play against your control opponent. Like, for example, imagine, let's say you have a mono black deck, and it's like a snow deck, right? Faceless Haven. This could happen maybe in the next set. We get enough support to have a good mono black aggro deck. So your opponent wipes your board, and it Usually at the board wipe point, they have like maybe two or three cards left in their hand. And then you just follow up with this card to like really try to empty out their hand. And then you just kill them with Faceless Haven. I could definitely see play patterns like that going pretty well, especially if you've had any other hand disruption in the match. So yeah, not not a bad idea at all. Yep. 
I I think I think it's to keep you should, you should keep an eye on it. Keep an keep it in the back of the head. It's not that bad. Okay, so and then you also wanted to highlight you see a god approach. So I'll read this card one blue uh, for an instant. Choose one, distract the god, tap target creature. Or the other option is hide. Target creature you control gains hexproof until end of turn. So I assume that you're playing this mostly for the protection. Why would you assume that? What What about <laughs> me screams that I just want to gotcha my opponent every chance I get? Yeah. Um, I'm definitely more interested in this card because you can protect, say, your Desert Doom when the opponent is going to cast... They're they're gonna pay their four right, and they're gonna play, pay they're gonna pay up for that ward spell. Let's call it a student costed baleful mastery for the for the fun of it. <laughs> they're just gonna go for it, and we're gonna we're gonna for one mana counter that by giving our creature hexproof. It's really nasty. It also works good on Goldspan Dragon in a yeah. similar vein. It also goes mana positive with Goldspan Dragon. You can use this and then make another treasure, and then also cast saw it coming. Because you made an additional treasure with it, which is That's kind cool. of nice. Yeah. Uh, so, but I think that it is important that we staple on the ability to tap a creature because there's going to be a lot of times where we're this tempo deck, or we just need to stay alive long enough to turn this corner. And tapping the opponent's creature for one blue could come up. There's been plenty of times where I've wanted, like, I just needed any effect to survive one more turn, and something mm-hmm. good would happen for me. And this can do it. I think it's a really cool ability to attach to the kind of dive down hex proof ability. Mm-hmm. I, I always think of this Adrian Sullivan deck that won a GP where he he was playing an almost creatureless deck except to add Niv Mizzet Perun, the six mana like all is it Niv. That was such a cool deck, man. And he had yeah, he had two dive downs in it. Yep. With like no creatures to defend whatsoever except for the Nivs, because dive down plus Niv meant you usually untapped with Niv meant you usually won. And I feel like this card could serve that role, but even be even more flexible. If Adrian had this card for that deck, that deck would be better. Yep, absolutely. Okay, so let's pass along back to you, CGB, with the Enablers. All right, the Enablers, these are some cards that I think open up the possibility for totally new, different decks. And I just wanted to cover whether or not those decks are coming together and what what it is. So the first one I want to... I definitely, definitely need to talk about is the Book of Exalted Deeds. And this is a mythic legendary white artifact. It is white, white, white. You may know it from the play queue as that legendary angel artifact thing. And it says, at the beginning of your end step, if you gain three or more life this turn, create a 3-3 white angel creature token with flying. And then there is white, 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 Tap this. Exile the book of exalted deeds. You can only do this as a sorcery. And you put an enlightenment counter on target angel. It gains. You can't lose the game and your opponents can't win the game. So you might think, why, why the big deal? It, it just it makes angels. It can turn one of them into a platinum angel. But then all you have to do is kill the angel. Easy, right? Like angels aren't known for their indestructibleness in 2022 or anything really they're, they're known for being the most vulnerable of things. Faceless Haven is all creature types. It's all creature types. You can power up the Haven, and then you can put the counter on it, and now you have a land. And if they don't destroy this land, they will lose the game someday. 
that's what it's all about. Mono, like white prison, baby. Yep, it's a stupid combo. And then I even saw um, Ali Antrazi running this in a deck with Tyrite Sanctum. So then you give you a Faceless Haven Indestructible, and then it's a true lock. Wow. I, I had to, <laughs> I had people telling me to run Tyrite Sanctum, and I looked at it and was like, I don't need like another three mana effect. And I didn't. But yeah. I, I got to tell you, it sounds kind of trolly and kind of kind of nice. That, that's it. It's just like, it's a way to put the cherry on top, right? It's I, a way to I, give the, the true middle finger. So speaking of the true middle finger, I, I played my Book of Exalted Deeds, Faceless Haven, Splinter Twin combo nonsense a bit. And then I switched to my mono white or my, um, my green white life gain deck that I told you about before that just does a million life gain triggers. And I played against Jim Davis and he was running book of exalted deeds combo and he got his combo. And I was like, too bad, man. I'm into this. I'm into this. Cause I didn't come here to reduce your life to zero. I came here to gain life. And I just, I was like, I'm going to just keep gaining life and he's going to concede. Like there's no way he's going to sit through it because I, I can stack a billion life gain triggers. And I did. And he eventually like, Oh, you got him to back out. That's hilarious. (laughs) He he bailed on his own prison. And I retroactively like messaged him and conceded. I'm like, this is just content though, because it's it's just totally the like the the evil villain hatches their plan and then surprise I'm into that shit. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh, CGB actually likes it. (laughs) Oh yeah. I I will be over here gaining life. I'm just going to try to break the client. Thank you very much. I always wondered how much I could gain. (laughs) What's that? What's that phrase? Like never wrestle a pig. You'll get muddy and the pig will like it or something like that. That's must be a British thing, man. (laughs) There's some saying like that. I think that this describes the situation perfectly yeah so um do you think that they knew do you think wizards knew this interaction existed or do you think it just kind of got by play design if they knew it would signify that they decided not to care about really bad experiences on mtg arena which i don't think is true because of what they've done with nexus of fate in the past you know nexus Mm -hmm. of fate was a great example of well, we didn't expect people to just play endless turns of magic with no win cons to get the opponent to concede. So I guess we'll ban Nexus of Fate and Best of One. Mm-hmm. And I think if they knew about this, they would have changed it because this does lead to a miserable Best of One play experience where if each player does this, the game never yeah. ends. Yeah, Either one of you has to concede. Right? Somebody has to scoop or somebody yeah. will... I mean, if you, assuming you can get a, a lovely wife like I have to bring you food or your mom in your basement or whatever, like you can just have this endless staring match where who falls asleep first and it's not good magic. <laughs> um, so I have to assume they kind of missed this, but I also don't think this is, I also don't think this is that busted. I, I think it's, it's okay. You it's need okay. what? You need like seven mana to actually Six. pull off the combo? You can tap the Faceless Haven to activate itself as a snowman. Oh, okay. Okay, that's good to know. Yeah, that's good to know. So, yeah, I mean, it's not like... This isn't Tybalt's trickery, right? You're not, like, losing the game on turn two or whatever. So you do have plenty of opportunity to do whatever your deck was designed to do in the meantime. So, yeah, it's kind of like if you lose to this, you kind of had it coming, I guess. 
In 2022, there's not a ton of good ways to protect your combo. So if the opponent just has a frostbite, you're in trouble a lot. But mm-hmm. in actual standard, selfless savior is a real pain mm, uh, when you go point. for it. Yeah. And like yeah. you can use Luris to get back a savior. They kill the Luris. You let the Luris go. You keep the savior. The next turn, you turn on Haven and you do this and like they're in trouble. I, I guess this, this could just be like a one off ultimate win con, right? Yeah. Especially in like a, let's say it's a life gain version. You know, yep. you're playing like mono white life gain, snow. You know, you run four copies of Haven anyway. And this could just be a, you know, maybe it's making you a couple angels and then you just happen to get the combo. So, yes. Yeah. The good versions that I've played are good at making angels so that you're under pressure anyway. And then Mm -hmm. you have to deal with the board and then you get comboed because you can't protect Mm -hmm. the creature that well. I'll also say that there is a card that's legal, Search for Glory. This is uh, the two and a white search your library for a legendary card, a saga card or a snow permanent card. And this card actually fetches both sides because the book mm. is legendary or you can mm. fetch the Haven because it's snow. So, oh, yeah, yeah, I've That's pretty I've, sweet. Run, I've run a few decks with just one book of Exalted Deeds. I also ran a version with like four Ravens Warning with the book in the sideboard. So there's some stuff you can get up to to have a two card. I win the game combo where one of them is a land you want to play anyway, and it doesn't get in the way of the rest of your deck. Yeah. So perhaps just based on the quote-unquote freeness of the combo and how good it ends up being and how annoying it is if, if it gets pulled off, maybe we'll we'll see a ban going on here at some point. But, you know, maybe Wizards just thinks, ah, it's enough of a meme, we're not going to worry about it. We'll see. They should watch my Jim Davis game. Like, <laughs> you just embrace it, man. You just, you're just like, all right, I can't win? Well, I'll torture you. <laughs> do you like life gain do you like life triggers do you like Roll watching life triggers? let's, let's go. go let's go okay what's next on your list here demi lich is on my list and we talked about it on last week's show i will say that from playing it i don't think this card has a 2022 home like mm. there mm-hmm. just aren't enough good cheap spells doesn't mm. seem doable the standard Is It Prowess deck seems good, but not good enough. It seems like an okay upgrade, an okay addition, but it didn't take that deck to the next level. But for as long as this card is in standard, we are keeping an eye on all of the cheap spells that come and go. It needs a critical mass. 2022 doesn't have it, but I think that Demi-Lich is a good card waiting to strike. Yep. I agree. I think it's an older format consideration, and in standard, it's going to take some work. But hey, if they reprint Manamorphos into standard, then there you go. Not going to happen. <laughs> A man can dream, CGP. <laughs> okay, Boomer. How oh, about... Yeah. My turn, right? Yeah, it's yes. still my turn. It's I'm still a, your I'm turn, really buddy. I'm really good at the host thing. I'm a natural. So Oswald Fiddlebender is the next one on my list of enablers, making archetypes possible. Now, Oswald, because I was lazy there and just kind of got into myself, I didn't pull up just yet, but I'm about to. So don't you worry one bit, folks at home. Oswald Fiddlebender is one in a white for a 2-2 legendary gnome artificer at rare, has the ability Magical Tinkering. White tap, sacrifice an artifact, search your library for an artifact card with mana value equal to one plus the sacrificed artifact's mana value. Put it onto the battlefield and shuffle. Activate only as a sorcery. Birthing pod, 
for artifacts. It's very exciting. Like this card, yeah. I think, comes with a lot of excitement value. Do Absolutely. I, I haven't found the artifacts, man. Mm-hmm. I haven't found them. Did you find any? Not not in standard. Again, this is this strikes me as like an older format hit, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, like historic, we already have plenty of things to be considering. And then, you know, any format older than historic, I'm sure there'll be considerations. Who knows whether it's good enough, but it's certainly the effect is cheap. You know, there are plenty of like good value two drops. You sacrifice your golden egg or whatever. What was that card they just printed into Historic that gives you a card if it hits the graveyard as well? Ikor Wellspring. Ikor Wellspring, yes. That's a perfect combo. And then you go and get some three-mana artifacts and, you know, you're kind of off to the races. So, yeah, I definitely expect people to be at least trying with this in Historic. But I agree. Standard, we're not going to see this soon in Standard, probably, if ever. There's a huge difference between fetching a creature and fetching an artifact. You can get creatures that do value, but they also attack and block. And the weird like tension is that you want to sacrifice like a two-mana artifact that got you value to get a three-mana artifact that impacts the battlefield. Well, if you go get Maul the Skyclaves and equip it to your Oswald Fiddlebender, he's tapped. Good job. Yep. You know, yep. so so I guess you need another creature, right? You need uh two other mana on turn three to play something that you want to attach your sky mall to like your loyal warhound, but it's complicated. It's definitely not um, intuitive at this point. And I'm curious to see what happens because there will be artifacts in every set. If they're good, something could come of this. So one of the challenges with a deck like this is that Oswald Fiddlebender is, I mean, you're going to need a deck with a critical mass of artifacts which means you're probably not going to have a lot of creatures. And um, your opponent, most decks in Magic come equipped to deal with, you know, two mana tutus, right? So I feel like you're, you're going to have a lot of hands where this is the only creature and it turns on your opponent's removal and you kind of get punished for running it. So you need to have some kind of a plan for that. That's one of the reasons why, like you said, creature-based birthing pod decks are a little more resilient because... You have, you're more likely to have other creatures on the battlefield that also need to get removed, and then you're kind of really taxing your opponent's removal. You're forcing them to have the right removal in the right spots. And I just see Oswald Fiddlebender eating whatever removal your opponent has, and, and that's kind of bad. What I wish... I wish this card came with a fiddle. I wish that Oswald <laughs> entered the battlefield and created a fiddle created token, a which fiddle was like token. just an artifact that did nothing. Right, so you and then you can sacrifice it, it to get a one drop. Yeah, <laughs> hammer time, baby. Yeah. Um, yeah, that that would be sweet. I am curious what kind of fiddling is going on here. Are we moving into the next category? It looks I, like we are. So right. is I guess aggro it's, your jam. It's, it's a long it's category. My time to shine. All right. So the the first card we have on the list here is uh, Hobgoblin Bandit Lord. And this is kind of, a, this is like a, a doozy in search of his army is kind of a, a way I would describe this card. So this is a one red, red gold creature goblin rogue. Rogues players take note. This is a rare. It is a two, three. Other goblins control, you control, get plus one, plus one. You can tap red and tap it. And Hobgoblin Bandit Lord deals damage equal to the number of goblins that enter the battlefield under your control this turn to any target 
So in my mind, the question is not whether Hobgoblin Bandit Lord is good, because in my opinion, it is clearly a fantastic magic card. I think the real question is, where's the deck? In Historic. So here's my question. Does this go straight into the Historic deck? Have you thought about this with Krenko Mob Boss basically doubling that trigger? I'm not saying it's not good. Okay. I'm just saying, is it? Because that deck already runs eight three drops, right? Which which give your your goblins haste. So yeah. I'm just kind of wondering if they have room for it. Me too. I'm not sure. Yeah. Uh, I'm not the goblin expert in historic, but I think it's an interesting addition for sure. The The idea of like using this with haste and then with a Krenko trigger to end the opponent without even needing a Moxus is pretty appealing. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, it is it is just an objectively very strong card. It has enough on it to do a lot of work. So if we get more Goblin support in Standard, I could see this being a player for sure. I mostly added it to the list because I wanted to check in if Goblins got there. Did Goblins right. get there? Is it a deck in 2022 or current Standard? No. It, it's not as far off as it, you think, though. Yeah, maybe. I, the pet. I, the pack tactics goblins. Um, there's one right here on the page in front of me. So like hobgoblin captain. Like there's another one with pack tactics that gives everything plus two in, or in haste or plus one up plus zero in haste. Uh, like those are very medium creatures, but they come yeah. together really well for this deck. So I think you can play goblins and ladder decently in 2022 standard. I don't think it's. I don't think it can compete with green. Like, I think you're going to get destroyed by green. I think you're going to steal some games from the Prismari decks that don't run sweepers. I think you're going to steal some games from people running various nonsense. But I think you're going to have to settle for being a pretty tier two or worse creature deck. Yeah, I happen to think that the mono red deck in standard 2022 is probably the fourth, maybe the fourth best mono colored deck in the format. So it's... uh. It's not it's not coming out very far. I it's funny too, man. You like you run into these people playing these mono red decks in the queue and you can tell they just don't want to look at another color, man. They just can't do it. They just cannot bring themselves to stop smoking, dude. And <laughs> I have news for you, man. Red lost a lot. Everything. <laughs> they like lost nothing left. Everything. Fireblade Charger, it falls to you to carry. <laughs> you have the mantle. You now must hold the sword. You are the holdout from the pile. Hall Monitor, get in there, buddy. You were on the edge, but now you have a chance. It's your time to shine. You know what it reminds me of? It's uh, it's like that scene in Monty Python and the Holy Grail where the Black Knight keeps getting his limbs chopped off. And he's like... He's like, come on, then, Come on, then, Let's keep going. And at the end, he's just like quadriplegic. And he's just like, I'll bite your legs off. And that's basically... That's what Mono Red is doing. That's where yeah. Mono Red is right now. <laughs> so, <laughs> yep. You can do it if you want, man. But I don't know about all that. Speaking of all that, we the next card on the list. Yeah, so Flame Skull, we discussed this card previously, and this is, you know, definitely one of the better, I would say, mono-red cards. Not just mono-red, but predominantly mono-red, I would say, cards they've printed in, printed in the set. Um, having said that, I've not seen this on the battlefield a single time. How about you? I have seen it a few times, and I think that the big mistake we're making is thinking that it is a mono-red card. 
because I don't Could think be. it. I think that this card. Here's the problem: the idea of playing a game of magic where you play Flame Skull and the opponent removes it, and you play Flame Skull and the opponent removes it, and you play Flame Skull and the opponent removes it, and you call that getting ahead. That's not how magic is anymore. Like you might yeah. find yourself up against one of these like really stubborn control mages who wants to play like removal and counter tribal and have one or two win cons. But I mean, as a guy who loves that style, I'm the one trying to like turn the temple with dragons and all runs epiphany and just smash you on turns five through nine. So I'm already off that, which means everybody else is probably going to figure that out too. Um, Flame skull is not good when you're just playing it every single turn, because as the game goes on, the opponents will have better things to do than play a 3-1 flyer that can't block. They'll play bigger, stronger cards. Or they'll double spell. Or they'll draw more cards. It, like, if you play Flame Skull every game, eventually they will do something cooler than you. So I think that where Flame Skull belongs is in a place where you can make more mana so that you can do the Flame Skull plus other things at a really good rate. And uh, Rakdos has the treasure theme, right? So if you use this with Painter, it comes out as like a 4-2. If you have two treasures, it comes out as a 5-3. Now we're hitting them, you know what I mean? And if Mm -hmm. we run this with the, what is it, Immerstrom Immerstrom Predator, like you can keep your Predator. Yeah, your, your Predator keeps growing, so it scales and it's indestructible, which is a lot harder to deal with than people realize. And it's a dragon, so it's hard to target, and it blocks all of their other nonsense all day. It tangles with all the other dragons in the format. The other place I like it is Gruul. In Gruul, you can generate a ton of mana with the mana creatures like Sentinel, um, Jespera Sentinel. And that just means that you keep playing this, but you're also doing other things. You're playing this and more threats. You're playing this and you're turning up Rangers class. You're playing this and you're playing a uh, Goldspan Dragon. You just get more out of the card. Yeah, which I, I mean, I think that's a compelling narrative for how this card could end up being good. I still just wonder if you couldn't be doing better things with your mana. Okay. <laughs> I did what I could. I tried. You know? But, I mean, that's an if, right? That's an if. The card's clearly powerful. It's got kind of squeezy Immortal vibes. Um, and, uh, yeah, who knows? I, I think it is an objectively powerful magic card, and it's another one of those cards that you just kind of... It's always lurking in the background being considered. It's, it's, it's metal, man. People want the metal. It is quite metal. And I mean, I don't know, man. Eventually, maybe there'll be enough parts of the buffalo that make sense that you just, you're on Flames Call and you feel good about it. This is one of those cards where, like, it's bad in every format, but then all of a sudden it just ends up being, like, some game-ending combo piece in Legacy or something. Like, it's just, I don't know. This is one of those weird kind of cards. (laughs) Maybe. Okay. Speaking of weird cards, let's talk about Dancing Sword. One and a white artifact equipment at rare. Equipped creature gets plus two, plus one. When the equipped creature dies, you may have Dancing Sword become a 2-1 construct artifact creature with flying and ward one. If you do, it isn't an equipment and it has equip one. So, yeah, this is a, this is a flavorful card. I mostly added it to keep an eye on the equipment subset because it seems... If there's a space that most of us ignore, because we've just seen the same thing for years and years in every set, there's these equipment cards, and we just kind of 
I, I don't know about you. I kind of zone out when people are like, oh my God, Boros equipment's going to be good now. And I'm just like, yeah, sure it will. And it just hasn't really happened, right? Not since, I guess, you want to say like Stoneforge Mystic. Uh, like that, that is the power level of card it took to make equipment super powerful. And I, we just don't get those cards anymore. But here you have a card that is an equipment and a creature. So the downside is like the goalpost is moving. And if we get enough stuff like this, where it's like, it's the equipment, but it's also the creature, you know, we've also got icing death and there's more stuff like this. At some point there might be a deck to be built. And I think for the brewers to try to find something that other people haven't found, this is a place where not a lot of people are looking, but cards like this start to make it seem more playable. Yeah. I mean, I think that they're trying to push a Halvar God of Battle deck, and uh, this could be a player in that deck. It gets kind of rough, right? Because how many equipments do you want? Once you have the Cupcake Tyrant and uh, the Sky Maul, it's like how many additional Dancing Swords you know, do you want to add to your deck after that, right? One thing that I want to note about Dancing Sword is the whole point of this card is your creature dying and you getting the free 2-1. So I, I, the only time I've played against this in Standard 2022, my opponent equipped this to a creature, I killed the creature, and they kept the equipment. And I was just like, what? Can't help like, you, man. Can't dude, help you. Like, that's the whole, that's the card, right? That's the card okay if you're keeping this card once the creature dies you have to have a very 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 good reason to do so so yeah i I, it was worrying in that regard but when the opponent misplayed then it was not very threatening um final thing to note about this card like does do goblins just not have blood i mean look at this (laughs) goblin man This, this goblin literally just has its arm like cut off in one fell swoop and there's nary a drop of blood to be seen. So yeah. I'm just curious about that. I mean, wow. <laughs> I already actually looked up the other card. I'm not looking at that artwork right now. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> Moving on then. Westgate Regent. Yeah, this this is a card I've had my eye on. Um, this card could just actually be good. So three black black creature vampire at rare. It is a four for flyer. It also has ward, discard, a card. So it's kind of like a guaranteed two for one. And whenever Westgate Regent deals combat damage to a player, put that many plus one plus one counters on it. So I happen to think that this is like the better frog hemoth. Hmm. Um, it might be, yeah. I haven't actually played with or against this card, but it reads like a banger to me. Um, I don't know if it's better than like goldspan dragon or other kind of five mana top enders that you could be playing or even like orcus right maybe this card's just not as good as orcus and you play that instead but what do you think about this card i think that we're looking at like a a two of in decks that can't play some of the other options that you talked about and it is a game ender and it's a proactive one so I like getting on the battlefield and getting in the air in this format. And we'll talk about more about it next week. But I like just about everything that's four mana or more to be able to get up in the sky and tussle with a gold span dragon, which this does. It's worth noting that if the opponent has no cards in their hand, like it's hexproof. Untouched. In fact, they need they need two cards in their hand to even yep. think about it. So yeah. if it so if they are one card in hand or empty-handed, right? And you have this card, and they are like, go, 
you know, you'll attack once, it'll turn into an 8-8, but next turn they might kill it, right? If you make them discard a card, like, they had to hold that card. So if you can hit them with some kind of a devour intellect discard effect during the turn that they can't interact because they didn't have enough cards, then you're just, like, shutting them down. It kind of makes... What I'm getting at is it makes discard spells or effects a little bit better in the mid to late game, or otherwise the people are just playing out their cards, right? That's okay. a good point. Like it makes cards like Demogorgon's clutches a lot better. Yeah, a little bit. Like I'm thinking more of like discard one effect, but yeah, uh, as far as getting to that point, the clutches get you there. So that makes mm-hmm. sense too. Yeah, both yeah. of those are good. Another thing to note about this card is that you might be able to deal with the first one. The second one's going to be a lot harder to deal with. Yes, or a reanimated one by Blood on the Snow. Or even Orcus. Or Orcus, Orcus can get this guy yeah, back. With enough mana, you can do it. So yeah, yep. I'm looking forward to playing this card more and seeing what it does. I think it has a lot of potential. In the right deck, it could be like the Groner, right? It could be like, oh god, I have to deal with another Westgate region now. Just another card which is so much better on attacks than blocks. Um, I kind of like that they've been doing this with a lot of these like Bane Slayers. They've been printing a lot of Bane Slayers that really have to attack to get the benefit. And I think it's a cool design space. It also makes Imerith that much more brutal because Imerith is just like... Imerith is the answer to these cards. It's the answer to Westgate Region. It's the answer to Goldspan Dragon. It's the answer to Frog Hemoth. It's just got the ground freaking covered, man. So that card's not getting any worse. That's for sure. Nope. nope. Okay, um, let's see. White, W-I-G-H-T. We discussed this card last week. Have you seen it anywhere? I played a mono black deck, and I just want to talk about a really cool play that happened. Uh, I attacked with the white and the opponent blocked with, I, it, it was like, um, it was a, it was like a one, one with a plus one, plus one counter. I believe it was like something that they played off of a like a prosperous innkeeper that they played off of the treasure painter. So mm-hmm. it got a little buff. All right. So they blocked the two, two, uh, they blocked my three, two with the two, two and I play heartless act and I remove one of the counters. So I killed their, yeah, so their creature died, but it damaged the white. And because it damaged the white, I got a 2-2 zombie and I still had the white. I know. Very, very well done, CGB. I know. Very well done. Amazing. I'm so proud of myself. I still think this card could be good. I'm I'm keeping an eye on it for a mono black aggro deck. Black got a lot. They got a 1-mana 2-1 in Dungeon Crawler. Then they got a 2-mana 3-2. And the abilities on these cards aren't very relevant unfortunately so they're mostly vanilla but i mean they have they didn't have good bodies good aggressive bodies we were making do in the past and now they have them yeah so we'll see if it they adds do up to something yeah it could it could get to a critical mass uh okay next card oka jelly x green creature ooze at rare it is a zero zero it has trample oka jelly enters the battlefield with x plus one plus one counters on it and then it has this ability split. When Oka Jelly dies, if it had two or more X, uh, two or more plus one plus one counters on it, create a token that's a copy of it at the beginning of the next end step. The token enters the battlefield with half that many plus one plus one counters on it, rounded down. So the joke here is that you cast this for like seven mana, make a six six, it dies into a three three, and then it dies into a one one or something like that. Yep. Um, so it's. It's uh, a, a, pardon the wordplay, a sticky threat. See what I did there? 
Um, <laughs> but <laughs> um, this card... how much longer is this show? <laughs> just kidding. Go on. Okay. Um, I just this card looks strictly worse to me than the Creature Land. What do you think? I agree with that. Um, I do think that there's some excitement around the card based mostly around, one, ways to put more counters on it. So like a Luminarch Aspirant in this, it just keeps getting more counters. Or the other Ooze, for example. Uh, the can, Ozolith? We yeah. could go off and with the And that was the other one. Yeah, the yeah. Ozolith. You just keep re-adding counters to the token, and you just mm-hmm. can never get rid of this card. I haven't had a trouble beating this card, but I think it excites people for the possibilities and ooze somewhere in this world in this universe became a beloved creature type and i don't know why can't answer don't i don't speak ooze but so there are people who love it they they ate is, too much jello as a kid okay <laughs> this is like one of a long series of hydras now hydras have been bad for a long time um, with a few notable exceptions. So what was the Hydra? It was like green, green, uh, X, and then it fought or doubled the counters. Ovenwald Hydra. No, no. Um, Voracious. Voracious Hydra. Hydra. Okay, mm. so so that card was a banger. That card was a real player. I think that's the last time we've had a Hydra be good. Um, this card, in my opinion, just doesn't quite get there. I agree that it's a cool design. One of the issues is that green doesn't want creatures that are understated for the cost, right? Green wants to go in the other direction. You want to spend three mana and get a four power, four toughness creature. You don't want to spend six mana and get a five power, five toughness creature, even if it dies into something that's usable. It's just not like, like playing this on turn four as a three, three is like the worst of times, right? So um i'm arjuna yeah. then you get a one one you basically got a four four for four i mean we're, we're really doing it <laughs> we're really <laughs> doing it so unfortunately it doesn't get there for me um yeah i i agree it, unless you have a way to like cheat a bunch more counters onto this and you're really going off i i don't see this card showing up well you're gonna go off on the next one right indeed I will. Indeed, I will. So they gave us a werewolf in this set, and this card is about as banger as you can expect a two-drop to be. So this costs green, green. It is a creature human werewolf, and it is a rare 3-3. And it has pack tactics. Whenever werewolf pack leader attacks, if you attack with creatures with total power 6 or greater this combat, draw a card. The magical words. And then for three and a green, you can do until end of turn. Werewolf Pack Leader has base power and toughness 5-3, gains trample, and isn't a human. So, I mean, what doesn't this card do, man? First of all, this is the first, like, two-mana 3-3 that we've been able to play in green since uh, Barkhide Troll left the format. Mm -hmm. And if there's one thing that Mono Green loves, it is 3-3s for two. It's probably the best stat line in the deck. So you want one of these on turn two pretty much every game. Uh, the only times when I would play my ranger instead is if I thought that my opponent had... Uh, ranger class is what I mean. The only time I'd play this instead is if I thought my opponent had some removal up that could kill the pack leader. In that case, I'd play the ranger class to punish them. 
But in all other scenarios, you want to play the pack leader on turn two, and then you just want to smash. Um, this card doubles up very nicely. So you can have these curves. Like, for example, I've had these awesome curves where you go pack leader into pack leader snakeskin veil. And then your opponent tries to remove one of them. You snakeskin veil, and then you attack the following turn and draw two cards. That is often a game-winning sequence right there. And then the pump ability does come into play sometimes. It makes blocking this thing awkward, and uh, which is, it, it's punishing, right? Because you want to block the dang thing and kill it, but then you also have to be prepared for it trampling in. And if this thing gets any additional counters on it, then that trample ability can be a game-finishing ability, which I have. I've activated this for the win more than once. Also, some people just forget. They just forget this card has that ability on it, and so they let it through, and you pump it and deal, you know, if your opponent's at five, you just kill them that way, so. Yeah, it attacks right through the blue dragon because of that ability. They can't block yes. it. It's annoying. Yes, which is so annoying, right? Like, right. you're like, great, my, my opponent's two drop can attack into my Imerith. Like My, my five drop. My five <laughs> drop, like, win, game winner card, supposedly. Yep. That is a particularly salient interaction, and it's one of the reasons. It's just one of the many reasons this card is so good. I I agree with everything you said. I think you did this card justice. I want to talk a little bit of design mumbo jumbo. If this if this is what the next set, which in the next set in the fall is the werewolf set, Innistrad, dude. If this is even a hint at what's coming. I mean, you were afraid Brutal. of like a super pushed fall creature set. I mean, if if this is the one werewolf we get in the Forgotten Realms, what is a whole pack going to be like? So here's my theory. My theory is that this is how Wizards design works. They're they're ready to push the set, and then they're like, uh, somebody comes back to them. Hey, survey says that we're kind of tired of a certain green card, and you have a, a card in your Forgotten Realm set. It's three mana for a 5-5, five, five, and when it enters the battlefield, it creates a 1-1 one, one creature, and it has some marginal drawback, right? And uh, people really don't like Lovestruck Beast. They kind of want that to go away because it's invalidated every other creature in the format for two freaking years. So we need you to scrap that card. And what are we going to do to replace it? Let's just reach over and grab a card from Innistrad, the new Innistrad set, and just move it over here, and we'll work on some other green rare for Innistrad. Uh, yeah, yeah, we got a werewolf right there. People like werewolves. We'll add that. It doesn't sound very Forgotten Realmsy. Let's just add that pack tactics line to it. What do people who play green like? I know, draw a card. <laughs> Easy. Because that's what green needs more of, really, is, is card draw. Yeah, um... I think that's a good theory, and I also like it, CGB, because it gives people less complaint equity for that set, right? They're like, well, we're just going to take some of the busted cards and spread them around. So it's mm-hmm, like they're printing, mm-hmm. they're printing an Eldraine, but they're just kind of hand-picking cards to like stick in lower-powered sets like this. So. Yeah, like Goldspan Dragon. Do you think Goldspan Dragon was meant to be in this set? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's possible, Maybe? right? It's Who possible. Knows? Who knows? That's, that's a really good point. Yep. I mean, I do I do think they have this history of, like, staggering key cards for an archetype across sets. Like, Rogues is a really good example. Took a while mm-hmm. to get there, but we did. Um, let's just mention Rogues, by the way. Rogues is another deck, which is dead. If you're wanting to play Rogues in 2022 standard, you have to be ready to lose. What I was going to bring that up with the next card. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. I stole the thunder, man. I'm sorry. 
<laughs> well, yeah. So let me, <laughs> what is he even doing with me on this podcast? Okay. Grazalax, a lithid scholar. One blue blue for a legendary creature horror at rare. It is a 3-2, and it is a pretty pretty gross-looking creature. Whenever a creature you control becomes blocked, you may return it to its owner's hand. Whenever one or more creatures you control deal combat damage to a player, draw a card. So I'll, I'll set you loose on this one, CGB. Tell us about it. If there's some squid lick in my head, I'm out. <laughs> I scoop to that, okay? It's, it's a lick. <laughs> it, it's an arch lick, CGB. A horror, which is very appropriate. So I was going to talk about rogues because uh, when we talked about Grazalex, uh, or when I thought about it and when I added it to the list, I thought it would be a pretty cool card with the evasive creatures and rogues. And yeah, you're right. That deck is pretty ugly at this point, and I'll probably keep trying. But for the most part, the idea of play a cheap evasive blue creature or black or black and then play another and then play this and draw a card and have a three, two on the battlefield. Like that's a good line of text or a good curve, but it doesn't really line up with this format at all. Like the opponents are either going to outclass you or easily pick off your threats. Like frostbite is everywhere. And if you're not playing frostbite, you're probably playing creatures that are just absolutely thrilled that you're attacking the, that the opponent has to attack you as small creatures to get their card advantage. So this card didn't get there for me. Um, I'm still on the lookout for it. Like if there is, if there's like a two dudes card, like a raise the alarm, but maybe it's in blue or something. Cause who cares? Just color pie is a lie anyway. Um, but yeah, if there's like, maybe there's some cards somehow that make this thing pay also without brazen borrower and the adventure creatures, the ability of returning stuff to hand looks really bad. So I'm, I'm off the card, but it is a rare that some people were excited about and it says draw a card on it. So I wanted to cover it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the curve of Yuan team Allison into Grazalax is not terrible, right? You, it basically guarantees, you know, you guarantee your Malison gets through, you guarantee you draw a card Yep. And, you know, Bone Crusher doesn't exist in this new format, and so it makes cards like this definitely more playable. Um, yeah. it'll, it'll clown Sparky. It, indeed, indeed. <laughs> Which is, Farm that bot. This is <laughs> what we really want to do, right? Well done, Planeswalker. <laughs> uh, okay, next card, Grim Wanderer. Uh, we talked about this card before. It's the Flash 5-3 for 2 mana, and you can cast it only if a creature died this turn. I, I've i only played against this card, like, once. Um, it did the thing. It, you know, the opponent got it off. It was pretty good. The mono-black aggro deck, or, like, the sacrifice aggro deck, I don't think it's together yet, but mm-hmm. I am keeping an eye on this card for the future. It is incredible how situational this card is. Mm-hmm. Like, like, it you can come up with a lot of ways and reasons to use it. But then when you play, there's just so many times where you're like, Ooh, that is not how I wanted to spend my turn. Even, yeah. even when it comes with a five, three. So I, I've had a lot of trouble with this card. Haven't been able to make it work when it's been played against me. I've killed it pretty easily, to be honest, like very easily. So grim wanderer isn't quite there for me yet, but it's, it, I mean, this card is the stat line is, scary three minute two mana five three flash right like there must be something there so if people want to keep digging and brewing like this is a good build around to keep working on couldn't this be another good laris card 
Seems like a good Luris card, but right? what's Luris? We don't we don't play that for Yeah, me. who? Yeah, who's Luris? Yeah. Uh, what am I talking Luris, about? Lur who? Is that is that the is that a dragon? Lur what now? Lurzy what's he? Lur ran away from home. I'm I'm telling you, man. A weekend of playing standard 2022, even when I'm busy doing other things, and it feels like it feels like everything from War of the Spark through Ikoria was a bad dream. Yes. Yes. I I can't tell you how many times I've been like, okay, I need to play around Extinction of, oh, wait, no, I don't. No, you don't. Or like... Winota? Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't have to worry happening. about Winota coming. I mean, it's like, it's almost every game on stream. I'm like, well, I'm playing around and then my chat's like, no, that card's not in the format. And it's it's like every time it's a revelation. Oh, yeah. Wow, this is what standard could be like. The Elder Gargaroth is totally going to clown us. Uh, no, it's not. Ugin is on his way. No. Saltai nope. Ultimatum. Uh-uh. Yeah. And speak, speaking of La Ran Away From Home, um, I've, I've gotten so used to like clicking View Battlefield after I look at my opening hand to see which companion my opponent is playing. I just never have to do that again in standard past rotation, and that just feels awesome. Ne- I want to talk more about that next week. Okay, awesome. Uh, okay, so supporting the Goblins deck, if there is one, is um, this card. You see a pair of Goblins. Two and a red instant, choose one, charge them. Creatures you control get plus two, plus oh until end of turn, or befriend them. Create two one one red Goblin creature tokens. So why don't you tell us about this card? The goblins are supposed to be charging you and then get plus two plus oh. Like, why would when you charge the goblins, how are you supposed to get plus two plus oh to charge some little baby goblins? It's, this card is, it's a, doesn't make any sense. That's true. Flavor fail. Okay. Since Off that, of the that, heads. That, that's all. That's all I wanted to say. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I, this is more of a, it will get played in the Goblin deck, but we've already discussed it. It's not a game changer for that deck, but do think about it because it can create a lot of damage out of nowhere if the opponent has one or two creatures. End step, you see a pair of Goblins, their turn, attack, and because the Shuffler is fine, of course they have another one, and they cast the Charge them side, and it can be a ton of damage. So it's worth being aware of, but it's not really a big deal. The I, I do think it like the Winota thing with this is real because if... If you think you're safe or whatever's going on isn't a big deal, in standard, on the end step, they go make two goblins, untap, play Winota, get triggers. That's something that that deck lost when it lost Raise the Alarm. And yeah. it has it back in a card that isn't as good as Raise the Alarm, but isn't as bad as every other three mana make two creatures effect. Because it also just has the Anthem effect, which is really good with Blade Historian. And and that will yeah. surprise some people. So I thought that this yeah. is important for standard Winota. No, I, I agree. I think that this card is more playable than it first looks. The ability to make two bodies and pump the team, it's just going to be relevant enough of the time. I, I do expect this card to see play, especially if the mono red deck is okay. And if it is a Goblins deck, then I think this could be good. And I think this is another card um kind of on the tack that you were going with where i i want to call this ember cleave at home <laughs> <laughs> I, okay okay, okay. 
<laughs> so um, it will, you know, you'll if if this becomes a player in standard, you'll have these turns where your opponent swings in with like five creatures, and you have to be thinking about okay, if all of them get plus two plus zero, oh, what should I block, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So yeah, I, I think that's a, that's a good one to highlight. Um, on the same note, I wanted to point out Battle Cry Goblin. Um, I think that if there is a Goblin's deck, this will definitely see play in it. This is one and a red creature Goblin at Uncommon at 2-2. Two, two. One and a red. Goblins you control get plus 1, plus 0, oh, and gain haste until end of turn. And then it has Pack Tactics. Whenever this card attacks, if you attack with creatures with total power 6 or greater this combat, create a 1-1 one, one red Goblin creature token that's tapped and attacking. So this card does a lot for you, especially if you're going wide. And note... Um, you can use this pump ability as many times as you want, and it is cheap, and it pumps the whole team. So, like, mm-hmm. this is no joke. Yeah, and itself. I, I was... This is one of the goblins that surprised me with its kind of... It puts you in spots where they always get to use their mana well and convert it into damage. So, uh, this this is much better than it looks. Like, yep. I, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not sure what else to add to it because I think it really only... I, I think it needs that tribal payoff. I don't know if I'd play it in a any deck that isn't a goblin deck, like a Boros deck I don't think needs it, but it actually mm-hmm. was surprisingly effective in a goblin deck. Yeah, it is. Uh, this, this card definitely moves the needle in that deck specifically, for sure. Okay, um, moving on. Guardian of Faith. So we discussed this card briefly as well. This is the one white white Spirit Knight, Flash, Creature Token, which comes in and phases out your other creatures. Um, This card, I still think, is strong. Have you played against it on the 2022 ladder? Not on the 2022 ladder. I played against it uh, in some standard that I played uh, just immediate, like, with the new cards. And it's, it's an annoying card, for sure. It definitely comes with enough versatility that it makes you adjust when to remove things. So if sorcery removal is a thing, this card is pretty good. It's not nearly as good when there's a ton of instant speed removal, which I think is kind of the bar right now. You know what I mean? Um, I mean, soul shatter, uh, power word kill isn't great, but people are still running it at this point. Frostbite and Dragon's Fire are probably the big ones. And there's not a lot of sorcery speed removal for this to prey on. The sweepers, though, like Shadow's Verdict, like this might get you as long as you're able to apply pressure with your other cards, right? I think that the biggest problem with Guardian of Faith is the creature lands. Because mm-hmm. when rather than hold up mana you'd probably prefer to be attacking with your creature land and if you attack with your creature land you don't have mana for guardian of faith yeah that's true it's a good it's a good point here's where this card impressed me i was in a creature mirror with a mono white deck i was playing my mono green deck and i had gotten them on the defensive so I swung in. It was one of those situations where they were at low enough life. They had a bunch of blockers. They needed to tender a lot of blocks to, you know, stay alive, right? And so I, I, sw- I mean, it was it was a huge board. I had like an Asika's Chariot. I had some cat tokens. I had some other green creatures. It was just a massive attack. They had a lot of blockers. They tendered like all of these blocks, and then they just flashed in Guardian of Faith. And I was looking at my, because I alphaed, right? And I was looking at my board and I was like, oh, 
oh god, what's my life total? I could just be dead here. And fortunately, I was at like 14 life and they had something like 10 or 11 power on the board. I very nearly died. And that, <laughs> like, that is a situation you need to be aware of when this card is in a format. I'm sure I'm also guilty of this, but this is at least twice this show that you've had a story of like, this card was really impressive. I very nearly died. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> I but, just love those stories. I'm sure I do it too. I just think yeah. it's funny that we did that twice today. No, I mean, that that's a good point. Um, but I just, I think that this card in situations like that, when you're racing and especially when Embercleave isn't in the format, like when you don't have a lot of trampling attackers, I think that this card can make close games very difficult. Oh yeah. Embercleave, lack of trample. Yes. I didn't even connect those dots. That's true. Good point. Yeah. Yeah, so that's just something that you can do, especially if you have a bunch of tokens. You can just like declare a bunch of blockers, flashing guardian of faith, keep your tokens. It's just it, it has other uses. I think people think of this as like an anti-sweeper, anti-removal card. This can also just make racing an opponent very, very, very difficult. Okay, um, moving on to its loyal companion here. This is a card which a lot of people have been high on, and it's a probably one of the favorite cards in the set for a lot of people who remember its predecessor. So Loyal Warhound, one and a green, I mean one and a white, creature dog at rare, it is a 3-1 with Vigilance, and when Loyal Warhound ETBs, if an opponent controls more lands than you, search a library for a basic planes card, put it onto the battlefield tapped, then shuffle. So the card this calls back to is Knight of the White Orchid, this card is better than that card in some ways and worse in some ways. So one of the ways that it's better is that this costs only one and a white, which means you can play it in basically any deck you feel like, as long as it has whites in it, of course. Um, also, the three power and the vigilance is pretty nice. So I think that this card is total player. I wouldn't fault anyone for putting this in any of their like white creature decks. Um, having said that, I haven't been blown away by it so far um maybe it's just that again i've been playing like mono green decks that don't care that much about three ones and stuff like that but um i don't know what what do you think cgb i think that this card when you don't have the land and which happens pretty often with the hand smoothing algorithm that likes to give you two landers in your 24 land decks when you don't have the land this card is a lifesaver yeah and you are going to be so happy you're playing it but the cost of this card in standard 2022 and standard right now is that you don't play your white three drop on turn three. And what yeah. is the best thing about playing white right now? It's the three drops. It's elite yep. spellbinder. It's skyclave apparition. It's Maul the skyclaves and redain and, and others like, like there aren't, you can't even fit them all into a deck. There are so many busted white three drops. And you, when, if you are going to get your planes off of loyal Warhound. You're going to have to play this on turn on what would be the three drop turn because your opponent has to have more land than you. Mm -hmm. So you have to play this first. You get a tap land. Then you can still make your land drop if you have another one, but you only have enough mana left for a one drop. So that sucks in a few ways. I, I found some other weird awkwardness with this with uh, Monk of the Open Fist, the card that you can fetch with the Grandmaster of Flowers because I, I want to double spell. I have the ability to double spell. But if I play my land first, 
then I'm not going to be able to fetch with the Warhound. So I can't play Knight of the Open Fist first on the same yeah, turn. Gets so I have to play Loyal Warhound, then the, then the Monk of the Open Fist. I said Knight, I'm sorry. Then I play Monk of the Open Fist, but it doesn't get a counter because it's my second spell. So there's actually a lot of weird awkwardness baked into this card in the format right now. I don't think it's a dud because I don't think there, there are many good two drops. I just think that getting the planes... Like I'm, I'm less than twenty percent with it. Mm-hmm. I, I'm just playing this as three-one vigilance, eighty percent of the time, and yeah. I don't know if that's good enough. Yeah, Maybe I, I should be doing something else. Yeah, that's it. it. I mean, same here. I, I have ultimately ended up being unimpressed whenever this card's en- entered the battlefield, and I think it's partly because it's just at cross purposes with what what white wants to be doing. Right, like white's curve usually tops out at four. Um, they don't usually have a lot that they want to do after that. And, yeah, this uh, ramps even... you to five. It's it's yeah. like a it's like a three to five ramp card. Which what yeah. are our five drops? So maybe we're playing the wrong white deck. Maybe it's it actually a sneaky doom scar deck card. So here's another thing, right? Like this card could become better out of the sideboard against uh, like a ramp deck, right? Um, or maybe like d- a deck that really wants to play emergent sequence on two or something like that. Now, granted, like a lot of ramp has historically been, you know, like for example, we had Growth Spiral, which doesn't actually, you, you don't get them with Loyal Warhound because they'll do it on the end of your turn, right? Or, you know, people were playing cards like Cultivate, which come down on three. And so this is kind of, you're not like impressing anyone by playing Lawhound, Warhound after your opponent plays Cultivate. You're just not keeping up at that point. But that's one thing that I think about. If there's a deck which is playing cards like Emergent Sequence or like putting more lands onto the battlefield very early in the game, then a Warhound could be a way to try to kind of keep up. I'd try to blink it with Yorian, but we know what happened to Yorian. He went he went the way of the Yorian. He went the way of the Laris. Okay, let's see. Is there anything else for us to look at in this category? I think that we are done with aggro. And now we conveniently move on to control. And CGB is going to he's gonna preach. He's gonna preach the control way of life. Alright. The first card we're gonna talk about is Mind Flare. Mind Flare gives me Stranger Things vibes. Which uh by the way, Demogorgon was also a Stranger's thing. Stranger Things uh, villain. That's how I know it's de- clutches of the Demigorgon is Demigorgon. Anyway, Mind Flare is three and a blue, blue, three, three horde. And it has, it's a rare. And it says dominate monster. When Mind Flare enters the battlefield, gain control of target creature for as long as you control Mind Flare. So we have a five mana, gain control of target creature beyond blue. Um, is this good? I three three is really easy to kill. Um, like four toughness is a breaking point in the format at the moment. I haven't seen a lot of places where I can afford to drop a mind flare, but I thought it was worth mentioning because, especially like with a control deck, if there is a one that doesn't play many creatures or plays creatures that are insanely hard to remove, and there is a sideboarded format where the opponent takes out their removal it might be really fun to sideboard in a mind flare if they're not, if they took out all their frostbites, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's a very powerful card. And I agree with you. I see it having niche cases for like specific decks that either don't have a lot of removal or they are looking to board out their removal. 
Um, and I mean, Mind Flayer, here's the thing. If this card sticks for even one turn, it could just be game over. So you have to remember that too. Sometimes this is just the make him have it kind of a card. A good scenario for a card like Mind Flayer is that you use cards like Shadow's Verdict to mop up smaller creatures, and then your opponent kind of plays out their last threat, which is maybe a Vorinclex or something like that, and then you just drop Mind Flayer, and all of a sudden your opponent's playing off the top of their deck. And, you know, they, they just they maybe don't have an answer at that point. So those are the kind of scenarios where Mind Flayer can be really, really strong. If you want to run an unusual shell with kind of a you can run like thassa or teleportation circle you can run mind flare and you can run something like a witch's oven so that every time you steal something you get to sacrifice it and you you can just keep blinking the mind flare and just you take their stuff and then before you give it back you keep offing it like that that sounds toxic and mean yeah sounds like a a fun thing to do in the play queue Speaking of a fun thing to do in the play queue, Sphere of Annihilation is an X black artifact. When it enters the battlefield with X void counters on it, it's a rare. At the beginning of your upkeep, exile Sphere of Annihilation, all creatures and planeswalkers with mana value less than or equal to the number of void counters on it, and all creature planeswalker cards in graveyards with mana value less than or equal to the number of void counters on it. We call it Ugin at Home. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Uh, it is indeed it is indeed ugin at home uh what do you think of sphere uh, of annihilation is uh, this a i have so many problems with this card but i've had people like like sending me lists with four of this since the moment it was spoiled i mean it's a turn late in a dollar short right it's a turn late yes. in a mana short this card's really weird I agree with you that it has a lot of problems. I think anyone who thinks this is like the next extinction event or something has another thought coming. Probably not going to be main decked at all. I'd be surprised if it were. There might be some edge cases where there are particular matchups in which this is good. One of the main issues is just that it gives your opponent an entire turn to play around it. If it's good against what's already on the board, then it gives your opponent a turn to play something which it's not going to be good against. And then if it's good against something you anticipate them playing, they just don't play it. So that's kind of the that's the rub, right? That's yep. that's the rub with Sphere of Annihilation. There are some edge cases, like so for example, if your opponent is making a lot of tokens then this can, in theory, just be like a one-mana, you know, wrath your opponent's tokens. And it's slow, but it sure is efficient. So that's kind of an edge case. But I I don't see this showing up in just normal play. What do you think? I think this is one of the most effective ways ever printed to time-walk yourself. Yep, it's like you spent the mana and your opponent got the turn. If your opponent's board is good, then why would you want to take a beating from it from another turn? For another turn. And let them play over the top of it. Like, you you put this on four, and they play a five. Now you sweep their board, and then you are still got to deal with the five. I, I, I can't. And I can't believe how many people are sending it to me. Like, this is, they, they think it's a me thing. And I'm like, this, this, this ain't it. So I wanted to clear the air about how I felt about Sphere of Annihilation on this podcast. Yep. It's it's a card with uses, but I don't think that those uses are going to show up in standard anytime soon. The next one, 
which I'm curious if it will have uses, is Sudden Insight. This is four blue-blue uncommon instant, and it says draw a card for each different mana value among non-land cards in your graveyard. I like this because you can... I mean, if you just curve and it's all spells or you self-mill yourself in some way, like um, you can have a six-man draw five at instant speed. That's a big reload. That's, I mean, as far as six mana, we've seen six mana draw four has been playable. Uh, commence the end game was a draw two that made a large token, which this does not, but it was a six mana instant that drew cards and saw a good amount of play. So I'm kind of wondering, like, I'm going to try to do something with it. I'm not optimistic, but I, I figure if you're going to resolve a draw effect in this format, do the one that, like, just totally re- reloads your hand. It sounds pretty fun to me. I also think of cards like the lessons, right? So if you play, like, a learn spell and then you go get a learn a lesson and you play the lesson in two cards, you kind of made two different casting costs that go to the graveyard. Maybe make this more of a refill. I don't know. Just something I thought was kind of cool. So this card's definitely a build around, right? Mm-hmm. Like you, you have to tune your entire deck to be good with this card. Yep, it's a puzzle be- card. Yep, because you you want this to be like a draw five or even a draw six. Yep. Note that it gets better once you've cast one because it's going to be six mana towards your next one. Um, and I also think this card gets better with discard spells. So um, actually, I think a really good use case for this could be the uh, unexpected windfall, right? You're you're putting an additional CMC card in the graveyard with the discard. Yep. And then you're also making mana, which will help you cast this spell. So this could be part of like some kind of go big, make a bunch of mana, draw a bunch of cards kind of over the top strategy. People who like the fairy's tutelage are drooling over that curve you just mentioned. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's got uses. It's another, and it's actually another thing that makes um, cards with like X costs better because, in theory, they such as your sphere of annihilation, right? Because mm-hmm. no, they, <laughs> not that one. Nope, because they co- they cost one, right? So it's another way like to exploit cards which have kind of these random costs which maybe like the the effective cost of the card ends up being the same as another card in your curve but the cost in the graveyard is different so um like erebos's intervention is a good yep it's a very very good example right so these are all things that can make a card like this better um i think in a vacuum it's worse than just like a graven law or whatever but um i think you're right i think that this can be like a this could almost be like Harness Infinity or something in the yeah. right deck. Yeah, or um, Reconstruct History is a card I've put multiple videos up building around. I, I like this kind of puzzle. Yeah, it's it's cool. It's cool. Don't, like, ordinarily just pretend this card doesn't exist. But yep. if there's, like, a particular cool control deck or, like, a particular cool, like, go-over-the-top deck, absolutely. The next card that I have to bring up is Portable Hole. And this was one of the ones that was spoiled very early on. And you've probably seen it by now if you've played it all. One white artifact to exile target uh, permanent, non-land permanent of mana cost two or less. So I said that tokens don't die easily anymore. This is one way that tokens die very easily. And it's blinkable or a piece on the battlefield to use for something else like a Galazeth Prismari. And I think that Portable Hole is good, 
but I mean, especially in 2022 standard, this card is, it is a one or a 10 man. You either need it or it is a disaster because your opponent has absolutely no hits for it whatsoever. And there are several, like there are several dragon ish deaths. Is it, is it dragons? You just got nothing. Yeah. Oh man, does it hurt (laughs) when that happens, you know? So yeah, uh, man, if if there was sideboarding, this, this card is like a quintessential sideboard card. Playing this card with, with Yorian was as delightful as I hoped it would be. Playing this card with Galazeth Prismari and Shimmer Dragon was as delightful as I hoped it would That's be. That's sweet. Yeah. So, yeah, if you can find a way to get more out of your portable hole, if there's no targets, that's very use- That's that's very important. Because mm-hmm. if you can't, you're going to be just looking at a handful of holes. <laughs> a big zero. You know, I so after playing with the set for a while, I'm convinced that they included this card to be a class killer. Um, I think that that's something they wanted to be able to kind of keep. They wanted this card to keep the classes from running away with the format. You'll notice that I think most, if not all, of the classes cost only one or two to come mm-hmm. down. Yep. So this is kind of like their safety valve, and I like I like that Wizards does this where they'll like they'll print a cycle or a new mechanic which seems really strong, and then rather than worry about having to ban it. They just kind of try to get out ahead of it and put a hate card in the format. And maybe it's not necessary. Maybe it doesn't need to go anywhere. But portable holes are not going to ever be banned, right? Um, and so it's kind of a low... It's it's just a low-risk way for them to try to hedge against something being too good. So cool play design for sure. All right. Uh, we did. You did aggro, and it was long. Yeah, so why don't, why don't you tackle some of these other ones as well? Right. Sounds I'm gonna, good. I'm, I'm going to keep doing combo. So the first card I have in our combo category is Wish. Wish is two and a red for a sorcery. You may play a card you own from outside the game this turn. I, I, I You have to play it this turn. Uh, it doesn't go in your hand. I think that's the first thing where if you've ever seen any of the Wishes in the past, Glittering Wish, Cunning Wish, Burning Wish... They're, they're tutors, it goes to hand, you play it later. The, the part where you have to play the card this turn is very mana-intensive, because you're talking about a three-mana sorcery. It's basically like, how often do you get to play your companion the same turn that you buy it, right? So you mm-hmm. have to think that this buys into that play style of either a very late-game card, or you have somehow generated an absurd amount of mana to make combo things happen. But I played against someone who cast Wish multiple times. I was playing the Faceless Haven Book of Exalted Deeds combo, and they wished for a, a Field of Ruin. That I, I thought they were going to win, but I managed to pull off the combo not once but twice. So after spending their Field okay. of Ruin... They, so this they, is... This is another example of the it almost worked? <laughs> maybe... <laughs> I wouldn't want to give away the ending, but uh, okay. this person also like wished for Xanathar, the Guild Ooh. Kingpin, which okay. just like that's cool. Started playing my deck, and I was like, "Please don't hit my Field of Ruin." <laughs> it was it was a it was a very epic game. I just won't talk about the ending, so we won't have to make fun of things I may have said earlier in the show. Okay. But uh, I, I was very impressed. In that case, like it kind of opened my eyes to if we ramp or just have an insane amount of mana, 
then we can use Wish in very unique ways to get all kinds of solutions. And you get them out of red, which is not something you usually have. Teamer is like a color combination that's notorious for not being able to answer everything the way it wants Mm. to. And Mm -hmm. Wish can go get those situational cards if you absolutely need them. So I wanted to bring Mm -hmm. it up. Yeah. Wish is... uh... It gives you a little bit of that like uh, teamer adventures toolbox kind of a thing. It's it's one of these cards that gets a lot better if you're investing a lot of your time in ramping. So, mm-hmm. you know, the more mana you're able to generate, the better Wish becomes and the more powerful things you can yank out of the sideboard with it. Yeah. Having the, said that, it's just like the, the degree to which this is worse than Fair Wishes is just, I mean... It's it's kind of hard to even compare the two of them while they're in the same format together. But Arjuna, they banned Lucky Clover, and that you still have double vision, so you can copy your wish. I mean, what, yeah, what am I even talking about? I don't know what you're talking <laughs> about. I thought this was obvious. <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, okay, so it's cool because it's in red, right? It gives red yes. access to this, and that could enable like some silly combo. By the way, red wish what like yeah it's what, weird. what's red sitting around wishing for they're the color of smork and burn and destruction they, they get this cute whimsical ah, i wish upon a star you know <laughs> i i never thought jiminy cricket was a freaking red mage <laughs> all right anyway the next card in combo is circle of dreams druid this is green 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 for a 2-1 elf druid at rare and it taps for a green for each creature you control. Guy's cradle at home. You knew I was going to do it. Um, (laughs) And it really is. It really is both of those things. But any kind of a creature at a reasonable cost that can tap for that much mana is probably worth paying attention to. And the reason I put it in combo is because you can either use it with like a bunch of tokens to power out one specific huge kaboom gotcha like threat or you can go infinite. And so if you find an effect that's just, for example, three mana, untapped target creature, and it's open-ended, then and this can tap for four mana, then you've generated infinite mana. So it's something to keep an eye on for its existence in the format. Have you seen this card get used? No, I haven't. Um, I saw someone playing an elves deck. You know, they Mm -hmm. did the classic, like, black-green Taiva elves thing. And they were running the Elvish Archdruid, which I mistook for this card initially. Um, but I think that Circle of Dreams Druid could maybe be a player in like an Elves deck. Um, you know, that because the, the Archdruid is capped at three mana. This is not capped at three mana. And that Elves deck goes so wide so fast. Are you fast. talking about Canopy Tactician? Is that the one I'm talking about? It's a 3-3 three, three for four. Yes. Pop, yeah. I, okay, maybe I'm getting them confused, right? Oh, it's, it's Art Druid is in his historic. Oh, okay, that's right. Mm-hmm. So I'm getting them confused. So yeah, it's Canopy Tactician. It's the I think it's like a two-two that buffs all your other elves and it taps for three green, something like that. It's a three. Oh, it's a three-three. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yep. <laughs> okay. So yeah. <laughs> so this the sky's the limit on Circle of Dreams Druid. So if I was going to build a deck like that, I would probably run some combination of both. Um, because just, you know, that, that deck also runs the, uh, the two drop elf, which has the seven mana activated ability to buff the team. Right. Bingo. So, um, anyway, you can just, 
yeah, that you can do some silly things there. That's the first place I would be going is trying to do some kind of elf combo and standard with Circle of Dreams Druid. But like you said, I mean, the sky's the limit um, on what you could dream up. Now, if you want to think really big, you can start casting the seven mana dragon and then... Uh, no, I'm, then, I'm thinking bigger. There's the nine <laughs> mana dinosaur. Oh, like, there you go. Yeah, yeah the uh, t- Tarasque or whatever, Tarasque. I don't know. Um, yeah, all, <laughs> all you need to know about that card is it's unplayable. Uh, anyway, but yeah, I mean, this, this card is um, very, very weak, dies to everything, but has powerful implications for sure. I did lose to an elf deck that played two of these and activated that Warmaster, Elvish Warmaster twice and swung for yes, an Yes, like twice in one turn. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> that's so gnarly. Yep. Alright, the next card in combo that I want to cover is Tasha's Hideous Laughter. This is a fun one. This is one blue-blue rare sorcery. Each opponent exiles cards from the top of their library until that player has exiled cards with total mana value of 20 or more. Um, I haven't played against it, and I haven't played with it, but I'm going to someday. And there is just this kind of idea that decks with like Luris and really low casting costs that you can just cast this once or twice, and they're just done. Yeah, I continue to think that this card is powerful and is going to have some kind of a combo somewhere eventually. And uh, yeah, man, what's the um. There's a card in Zendikar Rising with Kicker, and it mills for, like, eight if you kick it or something. Maddening Cacophony. Yeah, so I think, like, if you had, like, a like a Crab, Maddening Cacophony, Tasha's Hideous Laughter deck, mm-hmm. and, and oh, and then what's the other one? Teferi's Tutelage? In Standard, you could run that. In yep. uh, 2022, you could run the Rogues, Soaring Thought Thief. Yep. Yeah, so there's definitely enough pieces to get like a pretty hardcore mill deck going on. Don't know if it's going to get there, but um, you know that's a place that I would look if I was thinking about doing the mill thing. Um, yep. And and then like yeah, it's so if you go to historic or older formats, there's just all kinds of crazy combos, right? Like um, like things that key off of players having cards in exile and stuff like that um, can start to get pretty ridiculous or if there's just like for example um if you're playing against a deck like there's that rakdos what do they call it rakdos arcanist um where like no card in the deck costs more than two mana or whatever you could just just kind of out of nowhere just gank them out bye (laughs) (laughs) especially because that deck's not that fast like they do a lot of things but it's not that fast right so that could just be kind of an easy like sideboard option so yeah i mean i'm definitely keeping my eye on it the last card i want to cover in the combo category is minion of the mighty and there are already several videos on youtube of this Minion of the Mighty is one red for an 0-1 Menace Cobalt. And when Pack Tactics, when it attacks, if you attacked with power 6 or greater total, you may put a Dragon Creature card from your hand onto the battlefield tapped and attacking. I bring it up because in Standard, if you trigger this, you can put in a Terror of Mount Villas, which gives all your creatures double strike on its ETB trigger and is a 5-5 itself. So if this was 6 power, you give it double strike, you're hitting for 22 so there is a turn two kill 
If you play this for one red, on turn two, you cast Infuriate and Infuriate on the Minion of the Mighty. You attack, you put in the Terror of Mount Villas, and you deal 22. Got him. Got him. Tybalt's Chicory 2.0. And this was famous streamer Crokey's preview card. Crokey's told me he was going to be basically doing, like, conceding, mulliganing and conceding until he made this happen for a video. He queued up against me. My turn one portable hole was lethal. Brutal. <laughs> <laughs> you came prepared. Such a such a CGB way to win that head-to-head. It was. I was very proud. Love it. <laughs> Love it. I'm sure he'll remember that. Uh, he doesn't even know it was me. They're on anonymous <laughs> accounts. Oh, okay. There you go. Uh, okay. So I think that this brings us to the final cycle we wanted to talk about today. And that is they've printed another color hoser cycle. I think this is cool overall. I was happy with the last cycle they did, even if it got punishing at times. We all got tired of Ether Gust, for example. But I think that, you know, standard and formats in general do just tend to be better when we have these really efficient hate cards that we can play and just punish people for getting too, too greedy playing some of the better decks in the format. So the first one that we're going to talk about is Divine Smite. This is one and a white instant at uncommon. I think these are all uncommons, by the way. Um, target creature or planeswalker an opponent controls phases out. If that permanent is black, exile it instead, which is just amazing. So it, so basically you you bring this out of the board against black decks and you feel really happy about it. Yeah, I think so i'm 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 skeptical of this one because i don't think black is the creature color right now and when it when it is like those creatures got their value so orca already swept your board exiling Mm -hmm. orca doesn't help you very much so this is uh, of this cycle this is the one i think we'll probably see the least play unless something really changes for black and there's a werewolf set coming so who knows yeah, I mean, it all depends, right? Like, it's an efficient way to answer your opponent's, um, what was that guy called? The the 4-4 that gets counters on it. The Regent, yeah. I mean, it does have Ward, but it's still an efficient, you know, it's still an efficient thing you can point at that. It's also, you know, if your opponent's, like, Onyxing around or something, this can be a, just a quick way to deal with an Onyx, stuff like that. So, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, it depends, and, and that's really basically what, what applies to all of these cards is it just depends on the format. Yep. So let's talk about the next one, Ray of Frost, one on a blue enchantment aura. This has flash enchant creature. When Ray of Frost enters the battlefield, if enchanted creature is red, tap it. As long as enchanted creature is red, it loses all abilities, and enchanted creature doesn't untap during its control is untap step. So it's just kind of a basic removal spell. Um, I like that it... Yeah, CGV starts about this, for sure. I mean, this this card is good, right? Like, it's good against red. It basically does what you need it to do. I can't think of a reason this gets less good other than maybe something like you put this on your opponent's Torbran and they follow it up with an Anax. Maybe then you're still kind of getting punished by the devotion. The fact that there's still the casting cost. Yeah, this doesn't change the casting cost, right? So that that's an example of a situation in which you might get punished for playing a card like this. But in most other situations, this is a really solid card. Yep, it's an enchantment, so it can trigger in Archon of Sun's Grace, and you can blink it around with Yorian if you need to do stuff like that in standard. Um, yeah, uh, being able to 
like blue needs blue doesn't have cheap removal it just doesn't get that it's the only color that doesn't so it needs ways to interact with like super strong curve out starts but they don't want to make blue too good so they don't give it specific removal and this is a good way to fight blue's greatest adversary indeed indeed score one point for Kovaco blue okay next up we have ray of enfeeblement this is one black mana at instant target creature gets minus four minus one until end of turn if that creature is white it gets minus four minus four until end of turn instead Super efficient, solid removal spell. It gets around indestructible. Not a lot bad to say about it, really. I mean, what are you going to not kill with this? A Baneslayer Angel? Like People aren't doing that. I, th- this card gets the job done. And, and it gets right through Selfless Savior if you're playing standard still. Yeah, this will be a good sideboard card that's going to make Mono White pretty upset. Taste it, Cupcake. Taste it. Next we have Burning Hands. Have you ever uh, been to Burning is... Hand? It's a great festival, I hear. Music. <laughs> Burning <stuff>. Hand, I <laughs> love it. Okay. It's like, a, it's like a juggling festival. Yeah, let's go. So this is one in a red instant. Burning Hands deals two damage to target creature or planeswalker. If that permanent is green, Burning Hands deals six damage instead. What do you think? Elder Gargaroth? Dead? Lobstruck Beast? Oh. Dead? Mm-hmm. Um... Yeah, red, red is going to like this card, and they're going to use it to beat decks I don't like. So I, I'm all about this card. So one of the nice things about this, this does splash damage versus other creatures as well of other colors. Mm-hmm. So this is one of those examples of like if you're playing a two color deck, this could also just tag like some one drop or some two drop as well in another color. So I mean that's just. Another good thing to know. You're going to feel pretty bad if your opponent's like otherwise dead burning hands just kills your Ebon Death Draco Lich or something. So um, that'll come up occasionally. I, I am going to say that they uh, smartly costed Old Gnawbone as a 7 7 so that your two drop didn't kill a 7 drop. Yeah, that would be a feels bad, man. <laughs> but uh, Ellie Wick Tumblestrom's in trouble. You know, she was she was fighting to be playable, and this card just showed up and put her back. Yeah, in her frog place. frog hemoth ain't feeling She's too good about things. Singing a different tune. Yes, indeed. Okay, so uh, let's see. Hunter's Mark is the last one in the cycle. It is three in a green instant. The spell costs three less to cast if it targets a blue permanent you don't control. The spell can't be countered. Target creature you control gets plus one, plus one until end of turn. Then it deals damage equal to its power to target creature or planeswalker you don't control. Frankly, I don't know about you, but I'm not impressed. What do you think? I mean, I'm playing blue. I don't want to focus on my creatures too much. The can't be countered line is good. It gets through the uh, it gets through the ward on the desert doom. So there oh, is that is that. nice. Yeah, that there is, is that. Nice. Mm-hmm. So if Desert Doom is a specific stop sign that's bothering you. But we already talked about the green deck and how it just seems to have no problem with that card, unfortunately. Exactly. It's like the only one who doesn't. So this card is probably not needed to do what green needs to do, is how I would look at it. Yep, totally agree. The other thing to note is that um, the spell itself can't get countered, but it says nothing about the target of the spell getting interacted with. And so I think that's one of the things that makes this really, really, really bad is that like, okay, we don't have Brazen Borrower in the format, but there are still plenty of other bounce spells. And uh, yeah, you could just get really badly two for one 
trying to play this card. Yep. Not in not about this one. Pro- yep. It might be the worst. Which yeah. that would be the third kind of mini cycle in the set that Green might have the worst of, which is got shafted on. Fresh yep. design space. What did Wizards do to the person in charge of making Green busted? And yet it still might be busted because <laughs> Yeah. They're they're gonna be skating on their equity for a long time to come, I think. All right. That, my friends, and CGB. Sorry, I didn't mean to imply that you weren't one of my friends. It just came out that way. That, everybody, <laughs> concludes our set review for Adventures in the Forgotten Realms. So the first thing I want to say before I forget is let us know what you felt about this set review. It's a very different style than we've done in the past. Personally, I think it was an improvement, and but let's let's see what the people say about it. But CGB... After having looked at all of these cards and played the set for a little while, what are you walking away with? I'm walking away with standard 2022, man. Like, I I think this, both the hype going into the set and what we've seen as far as, like, viewership numbers on Twitch, along with the summer malaise that often sets in this time of year, there just wasn't enough, there wasn't much hype or hope that this would change standard, but... I mean, just add us a queue with an early rotation and it seems to change everything. And these cards are all over standard 2022 and running that format. Like the best decks are making good use of these cards. A lot of these yeah. cards. Like this this is an impactful set, just not on standard, not on historic, not on all the formats you'd expect, which tells us that when the rotation does come in this fall, you're going to want to know what's going on uh, with Adventures in the Forgotten Realms. Yeah, exactly. They've included enough must-have cards like the Creature Lands, like some of these dragons, that I think that this is a safe, like, you can buy packs of this set, you can draft this set, you can invest in this set. It's it's fine. It's going to be around. You'll you'll have a use for these cards. So, um, yeah, I'm, I am pleasantly surprised, I will say, with this set. I think that ultimately it is... And I, I think that it is head and shoulders above like your average core set, which is where this slots into the design space. So I think that they did a great job with that. The flavor is cool. I just overall am feeling really good about it. And I fully agree that with standard 2022 now being around, like, oh, dude, it's just, it's so sweet. It's so sweet. So I can't wait for us to get to our next week's show where we just go through everything that's happening in that format it's going to be sweet. Make sure you don't miss it. You can find that at Covert Go Blue's YouTube channel. Just look uh, look up Covert Go Blue. You'll find him. You can also find that uh, anywhere you can find Arena Craft Podcast. Anywhere you listen to your podcast, you can find this on Spotify. We are on Spotify, iTunes, etc. You can also cast both of us streaming. Man, I'm I'm tired. You can catch both of us streaming <laughs> on ta- Twitch. Ta- yeah, tag me in. Tag me in. Okay, take me take in. us away. Take us. All away. right. You can find Covert Go Blue on Twitch at Covert Go Blue. Also, Arena Craft Podcast on Twitch, or is it Arena Craft Pod? Podcast. Takes, yep. Oh yes, that's why I yep. thought. So, Arena Craft Podcast on Twitch, and you've been streaming more. You've been getting some numbers. I have been streaming more lately. It. Yep. And you can find this podcast on all the podcasting platforms like Google Podcasts and Apple 
podcasts and Spotify. It is there. You have to search for it. It's complicated, but you're going to do great. And you can find it on Cobra Goblo's YouTube channel. You talked about some of this already, but when you tag me in, I'm not exactly sure where we are. But I would like to thank absolutely everybody for sitting through this epic podcast. It's always one of the most fun. And I would like to especially thank Arjuna for putting up with me for this much time out of your day. So uh, with that, oh, and thank you to Bottle Brush for the sweet YouTube video editing as well. Yes, so. and, I, and I forget to say this often, but we do have a Patreon now. So, Oh, yes. Yes, go find the Patreons, link to it in the show notes, patreon.com forward slash renewcraftpodcast. We really, really appreciate all of our patrons. Y'all keep the lights on and keep things cool and keep us motivated. So thank you for everything that you do. And if you're a listener and you enjoy this show and you want to just take it to the next level and see us thrive and prosper and keep doing it for a long time to come, then you can become a Patreon, a patron and help us to do that. So for, for exhausted Arjuna and for hungry, sleepy CGB, this has been the adventure in the Forgotten Set for you. Later, crafty. <laughs>